You better be listening to Slizoids or I must break you. Are you the first? The first one. Visitor? I've always been visited. Nothing you have seen or heard about David Bowie will prepare you for the impact of his first dramatic performance. In 1977, Voyager 2 was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Someone is coming. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, Next week, we're talking a spooky cabin in the woods, evil spirits, and I think bodybuilders, I guess. So uh, join That's the right. sleaze. That's right. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> we, decide on all, <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover as well. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we are in our fifth year of, uh, but actually, I think we're in our sixth year now of bonus episodes. Mm, yeah. There's like 130, 140 plus, as well as our... Uh, bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films which we just dropped a big one on all of the franchises <laughs> John Wick the <laughs> yeah. Creeds the Screams so if you Every haven't uh, made the jump yet patreon.com slash podcast definitely recommend doing that and speaking of which we did have a bunch of people make the jump this week we're going to give their shout outs to uh, we had uh, Andrew Gaines shine up uh, John uh, Stinger uh, Rick Tracy uh, Daisy you, uh, Nolan Tuck, uh, Dusan Vukubratovic, I am sorry, uh, Vidant <laughs> uh, Goyle, uh, Cliff, uh, Sean Morrison, Real Bun E. Carlos, uh, John Bezib, uh, Caleb, Nico Sheen, Isaac Underhill, uh, just blank? Just buy blank. Okay, there you go. Right. Uh, sign up for an entire year of the show. So thanks to, <laughs> thanks to just thanks no blank. name. Uh, anonymous. Uh, Nicholas uh, Paziakos. Uh, Daniel LP, uh, who signed up for an entire year of the show as well. Thanks so much to LP. Uh, Jake Haywood. Logan Giesman. Pat. And we are still going into April Hill. Uh, Alex Rose. Uh, Grant. <laughs> Uh, Clevgard also signed up for a year of the show. A the annual signups, they're getting popular. A little bit of a discounted rate for anyone who wants an entire year. Yeah. Uh, Ola Tunji uh, Nuga, Bart Howe, and Jim Greco Jacket. So thanks so much to all of you folks. Hope you're enjoying all those bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to us on either one of those platforms, uh, scroll down to the very bottom and give us a good old rating and review over there. It helps us uh, climb the ranks and find new listeners, and we appreciate that support as well. And then the very last plug is merch. If you like the poster art that based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. And you folks have thought of a lot of things. You've bought pens, pillows, uh, hoodies, uh, just 
posters and notebooks. Uh, you can find a link to that in the description of this episode, as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com for anyone who's interested. But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, uh, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I think uh, two weeks ago would have been the last time uh, you folks over on the main feed would have heard uh, from us, and we would have had special first-time guest Sean Fennessy from the Big Picture podcast over at The Ringer on to discuss some 70s science fiction thrillers concerning artificial intelligence gone wrong with us with a double feature of the Cold War paranoia of Joseph Sargent's Colossus, The Forbin Project from 1970 and the uh, bodily autonomy horror of Donald Camel's Demon Seed uh, from Real 1977. Sleazy. A really disturbing version of uh, yeah, literally what if HAL 9000 uh, was a rapist, the movie yes. uh, directed by the guy who did White of the Eye. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah you, you kind of know what to expect with that one. And we had a very interesting time breaking down uh, that era of science fiction with Sean Fennessy two weeks ago over on the main feed for anyone who hasn't heard it. Uh, but last week over on the Patreon exclusively for the patrons, uh, we did a, a uh, episode that I've been kind of wanting to do for a while because these were two movies that uh, I kind of grew up with and were some of the earlier science fiction films that I saw. And mm-hmm. uh, they are both uh, first contact uh, science fiction films where we, uh, we we get to meet our friendly space buddies uh, in Robert Wise's uh, Cold War Messiah parable, The Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951, not the remake directed by Scott Derrickson starring Keanu Reeves, um, <laughs> where Gort is a giant CG monstrosity. Now, this was back when uh, you had Bernard Herrmann doing the uh, theremin vibration effects and everything. Just a just a wonderful time. And a seven-foot-tall actor playing Gort. Back when robot. just seven feet tall men were in demand. They were like, we need yes. a freak. Find them. Put them in our movie. <laughs> um, and we, we paired that, of course, with Steven Spielberg's uh, probably even more iconic uh, first contact, uh, sorry, third contact <laughs> science That's fiction right. film, uh, which is his uh, very uh, obsessive uh, depiction of a father abandoning his family to go and hang out with his alien buddies in Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 1977. Yeah, with a really mature and empathetic look at watching a father do that. So <laughs> it's pretty, uh, it's, it's a great film. Yeah, you, you definitely watched that film twice when you watched it as a kid. You're just like, oh, yeah, man, the government is totally trying to keep this from us. And then as an adult, yeah. you watch it. and You're like, dude, what are you doing? Like your your kids need you, man. <laughs> you got a family back. Home. Yeah. <laughs> just going to space with the aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's beautiful, though. Yes. So uh, if you haven't uh, heard that episode over on the Patreon feed uh, from last week. So go go sign up. Go check it out. And uh, that episode also kind of set us up. You know, we might have strategically played placed this uh, for an episode that we kind of knew was was coming down the pipe. And so moving on to this week, we have a very special returning uh, guest joining us. She is a freelance writer and critic with writing in such places currently as Paste Magazine and tons of other ones that you've heard, but as well as her own Substack that all of you should be checking out. That guest is Brianna Ziegler. Brianna, how you doing? Hello, fellas. I'm doing good. Josh, can I say really quick, this is so weird, but I just realized now the third time hearing your voice. Has anyone ever told you you sound like Jesse Eisenberg? 
Do <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't think that I've, I've gotten that one. I wonder if I'm going to hear that for the rest of the time we do this show now. It just came to me. It never... I feel like last Commenter, time I've spoken sound to you, off. Is it Jesse Eisenberg? <laughs> I feel like it's been ingestating in my subconscious somewhere. And then, and then when you started, like, you started the actual episode after our initial conversation before we record, I was like, oh, fuck. So, there you go. That's awesome. Sound off in the comments, everyone. No, when, yeah, I, when I was in high school, I got a lot of Andy Samberg, but that was just kind of the energy. What? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's weird. No, I don't hear that. No, and it maybe it maybe wasn't the voice. It might have just been the uh, mop of Beatles-style hair, you know, so. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nice. But, uh, yeah, Brianna, welcome back. It's been a little while since we've uh, had you on. I think this is going to be our first time talking non-horror with you, too. I feel like we usually have you on for the big horror episodes. What was the first episode I did with you guys? Because the last one was, wait, wait, wait. No, it was Dracula and Daughters of Darkness was the last one. The first one was. Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness. Yes, right. So we did have oh, a little man. sci-fi in there, you know, because because basically what I'm what I'm leading to is that you you kind of ki- choosing this episode, which is an episode I was very stoked about because I had I had seen one of the films and really liked it, and there was another one that had been on my watch list for like a million years that I just mm-hmm. hadn't hadn't even uh, just was kind of saving for a special moment, um, but it also kicked off like basically what's like been a science fiction month on the podcast. So this has all been organized due to your episode. Oh! <laughs> Oh my god, dude! And I, I came up with that idea totally. Like, I was so proud of coming up with that double feature. I had just watched Starman with JT on Halloween, and then I think like a very short amount of time after that, you asked me if I'd like to come back or like what what you had a while ago, but you followed up and were like, "What what would you want to do?" And I was just like scrolling through your list on Letterboxd. And I don't, I don't even know if like anything particularly inspired me, but I was just like, oh my God, this would be, you haven't done either of these movies. They would be the perfect double feature. It was like, it was like God was speaking through me to do this. Yeah. So speaking of which, (laughs) uh, what are the films and, and why do they pair together? Even though I think it should be a little obvious, even just based on the title a little bit. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, so the man who fell to earth and Starman. Um, which are both linked because they're about alien guys uh, coming to Earth and getting getting into uh, getting into all sorts of shenanigans along the way, <laughs> and trying to get back home and getting linked up with a little cutie. Um, and you know what? Another thing that I didn't realize until I was like, I, I rewatched both of them yesterday, and then I was gearing up to watch Starman and then I'm like singing David Bowie's Starman in my head. That's right. So that's mm-hmm. another way that they're linked, which I thought was funny. Yeah, you also have two wonderful actors in David Bowie and Jeff Bridges who are uh, oh, yeah. forced to play aliens inside of of, of human bodies and, right. and and experience the the highs and lows of our of, of our world, <laughs> we'll say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I'm 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 excited because I this actually is going to be I think our first time talking about Nicholas Rogue uh, somehow, and mm, um, yep. uh, and and on the reverse side, it's going to be like our fiftieth time talking about John Carpenter, but somehow <laughs> not go. this one yet. So it's kind of it, it is kind of still underrated by a lot of people in the John Carpenter canon, just because it's his such a a, a strange uh, pivot for him in terms of what genre yeah. he was interested, or at, or at least in the tone of the genre, not that he hadn't done science science fiction before. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, that being said, that's going to be the uh, double feature today. So uh, I say we jump into it here and start things off with The Man Who Fell to Earth. The Man Who Fell to Earth is a powerful love story, a cosmic mystery, a spectacular fantasy, a shocking, mind-stretching experience in sight, in space, and sex. All right, we are talking The Man Who Fell to Earth, the 1976 British science fiction drama film directed by Nicholas Rogue and written by Paul Myersberg, who is adapting the 1963 novel of the same name by Walter Tevis and, of course, starring uh, one Mr. David Bowie. And as I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, this is our first time talking about the English filmmaker Nicholas Rogue somehow who got his uh, career started actually as a cinematographer, which you might be able to tell by most of the films that he directed. They are very visually oriented. They are very gorgeous. Uh, mm-hmm. And he got started doing London studio camera operating and second unit photography um, very early in his career, which uh, got him his big break when he did some second unit work on a little film called Lawrence of Arabia, uh, which which actually <laughs> almost resulted in Peter O'Toole in the lead role uh, of this film instead of David Bowie at one point. That was in consideration because of uh, his relationship on Lawrence of Arabia and with David Lean. And David Lean, who was really impressed by his work on that film, actually gave his one of his first stabs at being a director of photography doing his Dr. Zhivago film, though apparently they didn't get along very well and he was fired shortly thereafter um and he moved on to uh shooting films for roger corman like the mask of red death uh francois truffaut uh star <laughs> a partial star of close encounters of the third kind connection there um on his fahrenheit 451 adaptation and eventually gearing his way up to directing, uh, which we briefly mentioned actually on our episode with Sean Fennessy because he co-directed the 1970 psychedelic sexual gangster art film uh, starring Mick Jagger performance alongside uh, the Demon mm. Seed and White of the Eye director Donald uh, Camel, which uh, basically kickstarted an iconic 70s run, run for him that included uh, an Australian outback coming of age survival movie called Walkabout, uh, Don't Look Now, it's probably Probably most famous uh, for people because it stars Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland and very, you know, largely considered one of the best horror films of the 70s, especially due to the, you know, very atmospheric and fractured and fragmented approach to the style that he kind of established there. But which you kind of see in this, too, which is cool. Yes, yeah. which uh, which obviously all pointed towards eventually in 1976, the man who fell to earth starring uh david bowie and i I can't remember we we must have talked about bowie at some point on this show i feel like yeah we talked about him in the hunger i believe ah yes what a great film too yeah you know what he's had such a cool career when you just like look back at it you know like i never realized how many films he was in in total merry christmas mr lawrence labyrinth last temptation of christ twin peaks fire walk with me oh yeah zoolander yeah he is i think he's um he plays one of the the romans i'm pretty sure maybe oh my god i did not know that yeah so, yeah, he's had a very uh, in- interesting career, and I'm going to assume that most people are familiar, but I like to, just in case we happen to have someone out there, <laughs> they might be out there, David Bowie, 
<laughs> you know, he's a bit of a legendary art rock singer songwriter. You might have heard a couple yeah. of his songs at some point in your life. You know, <laughs> um, this th- and this this movie uh, came at the peak also of his glam rock era with things specifically like Ziggy Stardust and 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 Honky Dory. Um, he's essentially playing a rock and roll alien anyway, so it, it just works. So yeah, it was literally songs about like being in space or on Mars or being a star man, as Brianna already pointed out. <laughs> speaking of. Yeah. Carpenter's film, and uh, he would have just been moving into his like Diamond Dogs and Station to Station and and Low era as well. The latter two albums, actually, he would even use stills from shooting this film as the album covers um, mm-hmm. for those. And uh, uh, so, very very creatively uh, fruitful time for David Bowie, as well as the peak of his cocaine addiction, uh, where he basically <laughs> yeah. ah. just completely lost himself into these alien characters that he invented and, and he costumed and which is why I would argue he's maybe perfect for the role asked of him in this film where he plays a Thomas Jerome Newton, an alien who, as the title goes, has, has come to earth, but in this specific case, not to threaten us or abduct us like previous science fiction alien films you might've seen, but just in search of water to, uh, save his home planet. Yeah, but instead That's, he also gets obsessed with uh, just making that money, baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the so, money mindset he, he, hustle. He goes yeah. Howard Hughes mode a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Sigma, baby. That's another exactly. way that Starman. It reminded me another way that Starman and Man Who Fell to Earth are also similar is how they're about um, not like they they're they're not they're alien visitation movies about like how humans would probably treat them like it's mm-hmm. like right. like it's the other way around instead of aliens coming to attack us it's like actually probably if aliens visited us we would immediately try <laughs> to imprison them and experiment on them yes yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, th- but the, the the first thing of note here uh, for me is, uh, one, that this is just a kind of like drop-dead gorgeous movie. This is uh, shot mm-hmm. by the cinematographer Anthony B. Richmond, who we've talked about before because of how gorgeously he shot uh, uh, Don't Look Now and Candyman, which is just one of like the best-looking horror films ever. Uh, and we also talked about, bizarrely, how he basically exclusively shoots studio comedies now. Like, he, he moved on to, like, Legally Blonde, John Tucker Must Die, <laughs> right. Alvin and Chipmunks, The Squeakquel. Uh, I, I haven't seen that one. Maybe people can tell me if that's like secretly a gorgeous movie. Just a banger. Yeah. But uh, but no, this this has like an incredibly hypnotic, experimental quality to it. It has like a psychedelic art rock lyricism. It has like an erotic, sensual quality to it as well. It's a very strange and and uneven um, kind of film in a in a very deliberate way that gets you you know in in the space of someone who is who is an outsider um, in in this world. Basically, like right off the start, even from like the the opening images of you know Bowie's. British humanoid alien, you know, crash landing into New Mexico and these like really nice wide anamorphic imagery that, you know, is it's almost like this experimental light in the sky. And then all of a sudden it hits this like dusty, dirty desert road of Mm -hmm. like Westerns or something like that. You even have like a shot of that government agent like watching him walk down the highway and like that huge Vista shot. Yeah, it it kind of establishes like the pacing and the editing style that's going to be put throughout the film. Like there's a lot of almost jarring cuts and strange fades even as he's crashing into the water. Um, And even the the way that time progresses in this 
becomes kind of strange where because you don't see him really age ever, but other people do around him, it just be, it, it's I, I found it a little jarring in a, in a cool way. I think it's kind of uh, trying to channel how he would view time being in this place where he's not aging as much and kind of remains youthful where everyone else is like yeah, speaking of the actually, hunger he has a vampiric quality right yeah yeah <laughs> that, definitely. that's also an issue that those characters have to deal with <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so I, I um i thought that that was uh just kind of interesting they don't do a lot of like you know uh spoon-fed montages or anything to kind of get you into the pacing of how time is progressing throughout this and some of the editing style really speaks to that i think Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, Brianna, what, what, when was what was your first experience with this one? Just out of curiosity, I had the best experience with this movie for the first time because it was right in the middle of COVID when I was uh, getting high every night with <laughs> with gummies that I got from my friend who got it from his drug dealer because I was too scared to have my own drug dealer. So he would get me little <laughs> bags of weed gummy bears and I would do like one to two per night depending on how crazy I wanted to get. And I I think I watched Man Who Fell to Earth. This was a great week. I watched like Man Who Fell to Earth and Inland Empire oh my for God. the first time oh while really, really fucking high both times. <laughs> And they were both, even Inland Empire was like an insanely magical experience. And I had a, mm-hmm. I had like pretty much the same experience with Man Who Fell to Earth. It felt like, while high, it just felt like the best movie I'd ever seen. To the, <laughs> and I was so high to the point where when I started the movie yesterday, I was like, oh, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> the only thing that was left with me was like the vibes. <laughs> yeah, you felt it. That's the most important thing. But I love the, the the vibes still persist. I feel like not being being sober this time, it, it starts to feel a little kind of like stretched by the last third. Like when mm-hmm. he's with mm-hmm. uh, when he's in that um, the cell in the hotel and he's visited by Mary Lou, which like obviously we'll get to as we get through the plot. But like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, by then I'm like. Okay, like I'm kind of like, I don't know, the, the pacing gets a little weird at the end, but mm-hmm. I feel like the two thirds leading up to that is so like great. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's hard to describe. I was trying to I was like writing down in my notes yesterday how the movie, how the atmosphere and tone is so like observe not observational but like meditative yeah Mm -hmm. and meditative in very like uncanny strange ways with the editing and the pacing and and i like i like i can be picky sometimes i feel like when it comes to pacing and tone but there's something very i don't know comfortable about this movie and the kind of uncanniness Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And mystery of it, like I'm right now. I'm specifically thinking, in particular, of the scene where he's driving in the car with Mary Lou, and they're g- driving through the mountains to eventually find the spot where they're gonna like build their house. And they drive past this, um, this just empty field, but but Thomas can see like people from the past yeah. who can also see their car. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that scene is about, but I was just like stuff like that. 
Yeah, there's a, there's know, some I very just, like subjective like psychedelic freakout stuff that definitely yeah. takes place in this film, and it it, it definitely is like a, I, I could see people finding it a little long. I know that this movie doesn't totally work for a lot of people. I think for some they find it a. I, I see a lot of criticisms of it being uh, like kind of pointlessly stylish or like kind of like empty in 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 a way for for me mm. i mostly disagree because i just think that like i find the style is what makes this uh like an entrancing film like it's a very simple story yeah. when you think about it and the sideways the sideways approach to shooting the various sequences that take place to make them feel different than they might in and like not expository and is how someone else would very much approach a story like this yeah and, you know like, uh, like for instance, with uh, uh, Rip Torn's character, and they're doing oh. the, like, one of his introductory <laughs> scenes is literally basically a montage of him having sex with his students while cutting back and forth oh, to, yes. to uh, uh, a, like, an Asian restaurant of some kind, and they're doing, <laughs> they're doing like, theater and, and sword fighting, yeah, but it's, it's cutting yeah. between these two things, and it's just, like... It's so perfect. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it, you know, it perfectly establishes what kind of character Rip Torn... Um, is it's just it's done in a very unconventional way so yeah yeah no the 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 fractured cutting is like a huge part of like the rogue project you can basically see it throughout the majority um of of his films i think that he found the sort of contradictory and the weird feelings that you could get out of a splice like that and what it does to people's brains i think it was just something that he was really Mm -hmm. obsessed with and like sometimes it's jolting in that way where people you could feel someone being okay well what's the point of that cut but other times it's like (laughs) it's pretty obvious like i love that um sequence when he uh first uh comes to earth and he uh has this whole plan about it i guess we should maybe get into like what 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 his whole deal is but he basically like lands um in in the desert and he at first kind of looks like just this very pale sickly like drifter cowboy and he's even like you know sleeping on the bench in front of the neon signs because there's nothing more that brits and europeans love doing than like shooting on location in their favorite american where their favorite american (laughs) movies were shot and basically (laughs) making it look like this magisterial planet that they've like never been to before uh which definitely also helps this movie with Bowie's sort of outsider-ness uh, that, that he's meant to have. Um, mm-hmm. But but the first thing that kind of clues you into what's happening here is obviously just, like, the performance. And I, I really love the Bowie performance, the strangeness of it, the deliberate way he, like, plays with his Mars red hair and he, like, you know, mm. he pierces with his one blue and one brown eye. He'll look at his reflections in strange ways and he moves with a kind of unnatural stiffness and even, uh, there's one part where he puts his sunglasses on and he puts just, like, one ear on way higher than the other one and I was like, that's just not how you put sunglasses on, man. And it's just it's it, it's little things like that that like really send this home and 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 I, I it's hard to credit a little bit like how much of this was you know just perfect casting as well because like Bowie basically admits to not remembering shooting this in like the same yeah. way that like Colin Farrell talks about Miami Vice where it was just like he's basically just like I was a total mess personally I I hardly understood like what the movie was about I sto- I I showed up <laughs> oh on set God. stoned and I just kind of read his lines the day of kind Yeah, of he just, just read his lines stoned them. and he was like hopefully the director likes that. <laughs> God, yeah. that's crazy. It's I can't imagine you saying that Peter O'Toole was almost this character. That's a totally different to me. movie. 
Because it feels like this movie was just made for David Bowie mm-hmm. to play oh, yeah. this character. It's like, I can't imagine it being anyone else. No, he's, yeah, he's he, so vulnerable and kind of beautiful just as a screen object for Rogue mm-hmm. to, to shoot. And I, I, I read in Kale's review uh, that she called him like a 70s update on like the James Dean lost boy myth, uh, essentially. Oh, and that is that is kind of <laughs> how he plays it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he also has kind of a. I guess it's more built into his character and and the um, the motivation that he has, at least initially, which is he does play him kind of you know strange and confused, but also very focused, which was interesting because um, like like when we get to Starman, for instance, uh, Jeff Bridges has much more of that kind of lost uh, it in a place he's never been before, whereas Bowie's alien. As soon as he even steps onto ground, he's kind of like already walking towards something and has somewhat of a mission, even though we're not yeah. totally clear on it at first. Yeah, he definitely um, has a weirdness to him where you're like, dude, that man is chugging that water. Yeah. You're like, what's <laughs> going on there? Which we, you know, we eventually find out is because, you know, his planet has suffered this terrible drought and he has mm-hmm. arrived on Earth with this plan where he is you know, uh, basically going to become this very powerful, wealthy figure on Earth by hiring a patent lawyer and using his alien knowledge of technology to essentially give us all of these things, like give us fire, like Prometheus kind of type deal. But instead, you know, he's going to be like a tech conglomerate guy and start a company called World Enterprises Corp, which sounds like something an alien would be like, yeah, that's what a human company is or, called. Or, <laughs> or a stepbrother's prestige worldwide. Right, yeah. yeah, like it's, <laughs> it's very fun. <laughs> but but it's specifically so that he can raise money to build a spaceship and send water back to his home home planet. And I just love that like the way you figure this information out is via things like that fractured cutting. When when again mm-hmm. he goes and talks to that patent lawyer, and he's literally you know he's like here's all these patents. I want you to kind of take a look take a look at them. And he starts you know reading through them and going. And then it cuts to Bowie's face. And then it just starts superimposing images of the city skyscrapers over this meeting between them. Like he doesn't even have time for this process. This is the boring part. The patent lawyer is like fucking stoked. He's like, dude, you have six patents. Like this is insane. This is like the best day of your life. You're gonna be like a. You're gonna have three hundred million dollars coming your way. And he's just like, oh. <laughs> Only three hundred million dollars, and he's already <laughs> picturing like the city skyscrapers that his company is in, and everything like that. So it's the the subjective yeah. editing really gets you into the headspace of this one track mind that this alien has that is going to be disrupted by being on Earth. Yeah, mindset. What's interesting too is some of that uh, that editing where you're kind of getting into his mindset com- goes along with um, him seeing his family like back home, but it's never clear whether or not as the story progresses if you're seeing them actually dying from the dehydration, uh, if you're seeing like a true memory of him leaving them, there's, it's always pretty scattered uh, and just kind of unclear uh, if it's like an objective thing that's happening. So I, I really mm-hmm. like that too. Uh, and they start to mix that with some really strange things like, uh, we'll get to the specifics, but somebody is going out of a window and while they're fading, uh, while they're having that, they're fading uh, aliens like falling at the same time and stuff like that. So it's kind of aliens guess, falling, more like aliens doing artful gymnastics. That's true. Yeah, they're basically <laughs> doing full on acrobatics. Yeah, very true. Um, so yeah, it, it, the, the editing is just constantly interesting in this, and it's it's throughout the entire. Yeah, you're gonna see some bizarre things. Time. We're gonna describe some bizarre images. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you've ever wanted to see Rip Torn in Cowboy Drick, uh, Drip and full on-screen cock this is the movie <laughs> that, that yeah, you've been waiting for film too. Yeah. <laughs> that's also something that we can say 
oh my god does this get well he he, he gets he gets seduced by 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 the human body when he meets uh a a woman named mary lou paid but played by uh candy clark in the film who we've talked about before in uh fat city uh as well as the blob remake but she was also pretty big around this time for uh, american graffiti was i think her big film mm. uh and she's playing this like working class arizona woman who's uh meet cute with him is uh making him faint by operating her hotel elevator because you know it's something that you know his body has not yet accustomed to and i love even bowie just being like please let me take the stairs and she's like no like in all her friendliness all her towny friendliness she's like no you're gonna take the elevator and nearly like kills him doing it and has to drag him to his room and take care of him and there's this great scene where she gets drunk in his room and is basically just awestruck by like david bowie like pretty much like visually it seems like and Mm -hmm. From there, she starts introducing him to the American wonders like alcohol and television. I love that scene where she calls him a freak for watching eight TVs at the same time. He's like watching (laughs) noirs and westerns and war films. And she's like, I don't understand how you can watch them all at the same time. And he's just like, or she's, but she's also like, you know, but I also like love freaks, you know, like I, I, I'm obsessed with you. I want to move in with you. I want to start taking you to church. And there's even like the score goes from like this kind of acid rock stuff to like country love ballads during the section of the film when he's like, just, he wants, he's being a normal Arizona boy. I love their relationship. It's like very tragic. And I mm-hmm. feel like it, it struck a chord. I feel like the first time when I watched it very high, it like really struck a chord with me um, because it's like, it, it, it's so like she loves him so much. She's like so obsessed with him. And it's like, yeah. he is going along with it, but and he does so much for her, and it's as if he loves her, but he doesn't really. Yeah. And I don't know, like, guys <laughs> guys that didn't like me back but were, like, stringing me along, that was my jam at one point. <laughs> so, like, when I was really high watching this for the first time, I was like, oh, man. Like, yeah. I get this. <laughs> I get you, Mary. But, like, I don't know. Their, their relationship is... Like kind of beautiful to me too. Yeah. Like the way she takes care of him, and and the way I mean, she's like his whole. I don't know the way she's the way she takes care of him. The way she's she becomes his connection to the intricacies of human life and relationships. But at the same time, he can never really get there. Yeah, it's like you he know? still views pretty much everyone, whether he really means to or not, as kind of a tool to complete his mission. Yeah. And it comes along with some things that she could read as love or care, but a lot of it yeah. ends up being superficial. Like there's even one part later on in the film where um, he just he gives her money in exchange for like their I don't know if it's their divorce or separation of some kind or something like that. And uh, and she's just like, but I want like I want Tommy. I want uh, you know I want I want the the man that I love. This means nothing to me. This, so this movie yeah. has he the most that tragic. Uh, knocking of cookies out of someone's hand. Um, <laughs> right. that's, that's another one I was thinking of when it shows the fate of like the aliens doing acrobatics. I forgot about that. Yeah, cookies <laughs> flying through the air, aliens what? flying through the air. These are... <laughs> 
I am I am mother and father. You always wrestle inside me type stuff going on on that front. Yes. Um, yes. And 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 yeah, they, they do have like an interesting like because at first the relationship is very, you know, like she it's very one sided. She's very much doing all of the talking in their relationship. But he does kind of eventually, you know, take some pleasure in having her around and having someone to, you know, show him these American ways and and, and him to also introduce a couple of his own interests like when they set up that little country home together and they have like full sex scenes like in like kimonos and they like <laughs> peer at the cosmos via like the the, the 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 telescopes and and i will say talking about that sex scene too the sex scenes in this incredibly explicit uh something oh, rogue yeah. got criticized a lot for in in his career because people thought i mean people thought the one in don't look now was unsimulated and they were upset mm. by it and uh, people actually kind of claim that he maybe even introduced the fractured cutting in that film during that scene to like be to take some take some of the the hot seat uh, out of out of uh, that experience when people were talking about the film later. Um, mm. But even the stuff with Rip Torn is you know a little uncomfortable to watch at times. Like oh, it's just, it just I don't know. A, it has li- literally a, a montage of him doing it to like five different students of his and they all say the same thing which is something like you're nothing like my dad <laughs> so fuck while literally grabbing Torn's penis like it's just yeah it, it was kind of shocking I didn't expect that at all <laughs> yeah it's yeah I don't know yeah. what else to say about well, that. Well, 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 and like you also have, you know, like he'll do like the the re- the repetitive cutting of it and stuff like that. So it's just <laughs> right. he'll yeah. he just constantly you're just like you'll you think you're in the middle of a different scene, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of like a strangely, maybe even partially violent sex scene where like a woman is like trying to like take selfies on the like photo the self developing film that David Bowie's yeah. character invented and is selling because his tech company just like invents like a bunch of like entertainment products i guess is sort of the idea like he just he he helps uh, develop uh technology for our cameras and for our music and for you know all kinds of different things like that it's not actually like a lot of full-on you know science projects until he starts getting into fuel for the spaceships um, but I but I do I do got to say, like the, the 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 experimental touches that hit on like during those sequences are the things that really leave a more lasting impression, like the Arizona uh, like horse dissolving into a memory of his home planet, which Rogue shows losing its water and leaving his alien family via like what appears to be like some sort of like oil painting time lapse of some kind, as well as a full on recreation of the scene with costumes and his ship and some as Brianna put like some of the time traveling moments where he'll just look at the countryside and see old western pioneers in like this flashed iris imagery as as well <laughs> and yeah. uh and, and also be exclaiming like god I, I just I never knew America was so beautiful that's actually partially the double feature here today too is uh god isn't America <laughs> just so beautiful oh, so true <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but I mean, I even think about like the, the sequence where we see his, um, ship crash landing through like these reverse lasers and there's like spinning zooms on the sun and helicopter imagery. I don't even know what the budget on this was, but it's, it's actually pretty like expensive looking at times. Yeah. They do this one pretty incredible shot where it's something that you've seen before where they're just following the car, 
uh, I think it's when they're going to the to the new house for the first time. And it it's just following them along, probably a helicopter shot of some sort. And then it just starts to pan up and does like a full 360 degree view of the entire sky. Um, mm. There's just there's things that they almost it's like they'll take a typical shot, but then add something that always makes it more intricate or experimental, maybe. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty incredible how how far they go. Like even the like just because we were on the sex scenes, these things progress <laughs> like they, they uh they really have something new every single time they implement it like to the point where like there's one where they start fading um these shots of it, it seems like it could be uh them bowie and um and and clark but they're they're covered in what i, I don't know looks oh, like, like semen but i don't like, know what's going yeah. on and yeah <laughs> yeah and and it's just doing these jarring shots back and forth kind of mixing it mixing it in with the sexual violence as well that's been introduced throughout the film um and yeah so th- there's just it, it's it's pretty constant and they're always coming up with new ways to implement different yeah. styles i guess well i mean you, you you get the feeling that this is designed to be kind of it's it's meant to have this dizzying effect of here yeah. is this alien who's never experienced so many of these things these vistas this amount of water this sex this this uh, alcohol all of these things that he's partaking in and it is meant to be this idea of like he's almost overdosing on this mm. you know this uh, culture and this uh especially the all of the things that th- this newfound wealth he has can can buy him and you know living in this beautiful home with this you know with this with this hip wife and you know there and, and Mary Lou actually starts to get freaked out that you know his purity in some sense has been corrupted by business and culture and alcohol and religion and uh at one point he's watching all of the TVs and he's literally screaming at the TVs to get out of his mind he's just right. like and, and speaking of overdosing him watching 10 screens at once said you know like it's just it's definitely very much feels like what you know he's being distracted from his mission by the actual just uh life in you know 70s new new mexico essentially despite his efforts to like you know he's definitely you can you can sense the the overwhelming feeling of the mission taking over like in an image when he'll just like stare at a lake and his the first he almost has like what looks like some sort of you know fainting spell looking at the lake and it's basically because he's imagining his family back home like swimming in it and he's imagining like what you know like he's like oh my god look at all of this amazing water that i could take back home which is how riptorn gets involved as well as the fuel technician for the spaceship project and he's basically you know takes him to like a really cool base that almost looks like he has like this sci-fi soundproof room with a glowing orb in the middle i don't know what this room was but it looked cool i love that scene it's so cool the negative space composition of just how the background fits in and bowie's head in there just it, it, it looks really awesome yeah. Um, but also it creates the, the, the odd feelings that like Riptorn is like, this dude is weird, you know, and, and not just in like a wealthy, <laughs> mysterious way, like in like an alien, you know, kind of, kind of way. And I think at one point Bowie's even like, you know, ask the question you've been wanting to ask. And Riptorn gets this hilarious delivery of, are, are you Lithuanian? <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot to write that down. He's like, but no, no, no. But he words it like, you're not Lithuanian, are you? Yeah. Like, he doesn't want Bowie to be Lithuanian. Yes. And he's like, I'm, I'm English. You know, he's like, okay, that's not so bad. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, what, and, and, and that seems also home to my other favorite line in the movie, which is David Bowie talking about the strangeness of, of television, where it's like, you know, it, it shows you everything about life on Earth, but the, the true mysteries of, you know, like mankind kind of remain. And, uh, and perhaps that's the nature of television, that it's just waves in space. And I, I listened to that. I was like, that's the vibe of the movie. It's just waves in yeah. space. You kind of have to just, I think on a, on a first watch, the best way to do it is how Brianna did it. Just get stoned, <laughs> go with the waves Feel to it. see. Let yeah. it wash over you. Yeah. It's the best. But, yeah. but, but I do find it interesting that despite all of that, you know, because that's how very much how it plays into the style of the film, that there is, you know, a, a, a very, you know, simple kind of emotional story being told, I think, effectively through that style, especially when his human relationships start to crumble. And, you know, mm-hmm. Mary Lou and him are getting into those domestic disputes. He's knocking cookies out of her hand and she's <laughs> she, she's calling him an alien, but only in the sense that he's British and he doesn't have a visa. You know, she's she doesn't quite suspect that he's yeah, (laughs) but but she's like, you know, why do you need to leave? Why is it so important that you finish this whatever mission you have and not like marry me or whatever? And Rip Torn is like setting up x-ray cameras in his house to prove that he's an alien to, you know, all these government agents who might be interested in, in taking over for him. And eventually Bowie just in order to cut it off with Mary Lou. He, this is an amazing scene, which I think is connected to that sex scene you were referring to, Jamie, that amazing yeah. scene where he reveals his, you know, true form, essentially. And he you, you takes the tweezers and like in the mirrored reflection, like pulls his contacts out and he just reveals his slimy, naked alien form and like cat like yellow slits for eyes that he has. And yeah, that psychedelic montage of him revealing that and her stripping and like trying to make love to him anyway she's like fondling his like goopy nub and it's just nothing and she's like this is horrible <laughs> yeah yeah like she the the first uh, initial time she looks at him too she's like absolutely terrified and it is kind of scary to watch like he opens the door and it's just the big reptilian eyes in your face it is kind of uh I don't know it's yeah yeah and um and then it turns into like I was saying with that that sex sequence it is kind of um nightmarish in a sense like it, all those weird fades with all of the goop that's over the two human I don't and the thing is it, the way that the those those people are in the in the fades it's probably Bowie and Clark but it it doesn't necessarily even look like them cuz they're just covered and you can't really tell or differentiate the two um, and yeah, she just gets terrified and, and has to, has to stop. And then they do this cool, um, shot in a kitchen where she's kind of cowering in a corner and it gets all distorted. It, it yeah. reminded me of, um, the, the, the shot in, it was a Schrader movie. It just came out, uh, like a couple years ago. It's when they're in the prison and they're torturing everybody. Yeah. The, oh, the, the, um, the, the card, card counter. counter. The card counter. Yeah. All those prison sequences. It has this like kind of wide screen stretch to it. If, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. It's, it's yeah, she's like cowering on the floor and she's like, she's very, yeah, she's been stretched out uh, yeah. to, to the edges of the frame almost. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fan- it's really fantastic and really effective. Um, and I guess it's just kind of like, you know, her psyche is breaking a little bit at this point. It already was because the relationship wasn't going swimmingly but now she's now he's an alien in the eyes of a reptilian yeah so <laughs> oh yeah and also the government is hunting him down and like throwing his business partners through plate glass <laughs> yeah that is wild too like one just the added uh image of them putting on like the space helmets in order to do it so he can't like clot them or anything like that and i think to hide their maybe hide their identity 
but the the yeah well because i think they're supposed to be from like a rival tech company or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think so and they they were like hey this guy is doing a highly publicized space trip you know we can't we can't let this happen and that low angle shot of that dummy just flying through that window it's It's crazy and spinning oh my god and to add insult to injury they (laughs) they throw him into the window and the first time it just cracks and they're like oh sorry man and they do it again (laughs) (laughs) like it's so funny that they choose not to do like the truly like the gangster thing where they they put him up on the roof and like hang him over and then throw him off but they they just like swing him with his hands and legs like it's a, a game a in game. a playground or something yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's so funny yeah i mean it, it gets pretty horrifying in in this section because not only are they killing his mm-hmm. business partners they're also kidnapping him and like basically med- medically experimenting on him for what is implied to basically it gets a little confusing but like it's implied to be like years and almost decades of mm-hmm. captivity where basically everyone around him is is aging while he is just subjected to this like never ending private sector like abuse and torture uh w- minus the fact that he's allowed to have all of the american luxuries that his mm-hmm. money can afford him which is kind of like the worst thing that he could possibly have so he basically just spends all day either you know getting prodded and poked and you know and you know sort of put under a microscope or they're like yeah you can just watch tv and like you know drink the a most martini. luxury like prison of all time. <laughs> yeah. He's just surrounded by like prestigious art and uh, like some really wild looking living rooms and stuff, but it's just, you know, it's, he, he's not allowed to leave. So I, I do like that, that irony. Yeah. They're like, here's all this beautiful food delivered by room service. You know, at mm-hmm. one point uh, he even does invite Mary Lou back and aged Mary Lou makes her way back into the room and they've given him a six shooter with a blanks in it so that they can basically like sexual role play like Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, he's truly an American now, you know, it leads to another strange sex scene with like strobe lights and, and gunshots to signal like each cut and everything like that. Yeah. Pretty nuts. Yeah, this section of the film is very, very dark and, and very tragic, too, because she's obviously she's trying to reignite this relationship between the two because because basically the only thing that was separating them before was the mission. And now he's not going to do the mission because he's being forced to stay on Earth. They're not going to let him pursue it. Um, right. But what's so kind of crazy about that is that like that doesn't end up being that doesn't help him with his relationship to humans. It just makes him incredibly depressed. And so he just sits there. He's like, I have no connection to any of you. I don't care anymore. I've forgotten what my mission is to the point where like one day the the experiments are just over. His door is like unlocked and he just like walks out. There's like, yeah, you know, we're kind of we got nothing else that we can get out of you. <laughs> and you don't even really know why you're here anymore anyway. So, you know, you're kind of harmless. Go go do whatever you want. You know, <laughs> yeah, you got money. It'll be fine. I also love the the image of um, them playing ping pong together when everything has just gone to shit. They don't even have love for each other anymore. And they're not even playing. They never start like a rally or anything. It's just like one ping pong after the other in this giant basket just wasting away over and over again. Yeah, I was wondering Um, if that was a gag that he just like doesn't know how to play. Yeah, I I feel like it is. (laughs) I felt like the way they're they're doing it is just... It's just saying how little they fucking care at this point. Like they're just having, they're arguing even while they're playing, and um, and they just keep hitting it as hard as they can and to the other side of the room. Like there's just there's nothing meaningful happening anymore. 
but I like the gag. I think it's very f- kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. But I, I did find this ending, uh, as Brianna put it, like very, very tragic. Um, this mm-hmm. just whole section, like the just the the slow decay of his relationship yeah. with Mary Lou and all of him and or her and Rip Torn, like getting old, like right before his eyes and stuff like that, and like not Don't even they recognizing end up together them. Too, yeah, Clark and Torn, they, they do. do. Yeah, and and it's like it's it's strange because in the second half, you know, you just see Torn kind of being like a normal scientist professor is interviewing Bowie and, and I guess he is trying to uh, expose him. So there is that, but well, he, you he's technically the, pr- the one who gets him kidnapped, presumably like right. he, he's cause he sets up those x-ray cameras to like shoot his, uh, his alien brain <laughs> yeah, and, and, and show it to everyone. So, uh, and it's, it's just a real shame to watch, um, to watch Mary Lou get with his character after you see the first 10 minutes of the introduction to his character, you know, you're like, man, this was, this was a sad, uh, sad story for Mary Lou. But you know what? They're having a nice little Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. They got that. (laughs) They got the liquor. They got the Christmas tree. It is. It really made me want Christmas to come again. I was, (laughs) the the vibes are really good in that scene. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) It's funny. I feel like, uh, Starman and Man who fell to earth both have like, polar opposite like things to say about humanity like man who fell to earth is such a downer about like the corrupting nature of like i don't know american consumerism capitalism materialism and then Mm -hmm. and then starman's about like all the good things about being being alive being mortal being a human on earth finding Mm -hmm. that connection again yeah yeah and this is definitely not that. Complete he basically opposite. leaves his, his family <laughs> to die on that planet and just dehydrate into the Well, into yeah, the I mean, he, I mean yeah. like, literally, he overdoses on our world and all of the, you know, sort of, like, pointless pleasures of it, I guess you could, you could sort of argue. And mm-hmm. he literally forgets what his mission was or how he could even <laughs> complete it, even though he still has, like, all of this money. So he just spends the rest of his days in, like, a wealthy, drunken stupor without even the human relationships that he had formed while he had been on Earth that he kind of enjoyed because he's broken them all. And he, the ending of the movie is just him hopelessly recording messages on vinyl in hopes yeah. that they maybe get brought, broadcasted out into the world and back home somehow. To his wife, <laughs> who we don't even know if they're alive. Yeah, which w- w- which we find out that they don't end up going anywhere because what, like, Riptorn ends up, like, finding one in, like, a like a sale rack at, like, a record store. And he's just like, hey, this yeah. is how I found you, by the way. Like, someone was just, someone was like, this is cool alien music or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he just ends, like, completely alone and and without even his own agency because he's just so hammered. Like the one, I think it, like the waiter comes up and just goes, no, you're cut off. Like even with all your money (laughs) and your love for this alcohol at this point, you, you can't even have that. So, and then he just kind of falls asleep essentially. It's uh, and that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad. So bleak. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe uh, pivoting towards the uh, reductive rating round. This one, this one got a very solid uh, four from from me. Like I, the first time I watched it, I was definitely more just taken with kind of the images. I don't even know that I fully like understood the movie. I was just kind of <laughs> like, wow, what a this has such a strange hypnotic vibe to it. Again, it has that sort of 
psychedelic lyrical kind of element to it and not and not just in like a frustrating or hollow way that i think a lot of people sometimes get out of it like i found it genuinely kind of mysterious and and and, mm-hmm. and mesmerizing at a, at a certain point and i think that you know bowie and the way that they use his 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 image is definitely a huge part of that and yeah i think that you know rogue had a very interesting approach to you know uh every kind of genre that that he did but it was a pretty unique merging for him to do like a, basically a science fiction art movie about just this you know very beautiful vulnerable alien who in the process of trying to save his home planet from environmental doom and, and destruction like a you know a very deliberate purpose and when he when he lands here as jamie put it like he's focused he's like mm. i know exactly how to manipulate their system to get all the way to the top and get the resources i need to do this thing and the movie is creates this dizzying atmosphere where all of a sudden we experience his overdose on money and culture and how corrupted he is by it and yeah just the fact that he then ends in such a drunken stupor that he forgets why he came to earth in the first place is just like (laughs) such a brutal um you know and simple idea and i think so well handled by the fact that it's so stylishly experimental i think you have a similar feeling where you're kind of like you have you know where this movie starts and you know where it ends and everything Mm -hmm. in the middle is kind of like this bizarre blur you know and again Mm -hmm. great new mexico location works in order to you know uh, that bring about this kind of outsider feeling especially being made by all of these you know sort of british filmmakers and uh was weird to find out that Bowie didn't do any music for this, but I did think it was cool that they mm. had John Phillips from the uh, Mamas and the Papas uh, kind of sub in to do much of the uh, strange uh, sort of sonic atmosphere of the of the film as well. I guess because Bowie was in just such a bizarre headspace that he couldn't even <laughs> complete the soundtrack for the film. Although I think I, I read that he eventually said that Low, the album Low, did event sessions from when he was working on the score for this ended up becoming that record. So that's kind of cool. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I um, I would also give it a four. Uh, I think uh, I really like... This is my second Rogue film that I've seen. I've only uh, seen Don't Look Now as the other one. And I do really like his um, his style and the way he has uh, um, these films edited. It's very, It can be very jarring at times, but it, it especially works with this, kind of getting lost yourself with David's um, alien character. Uh, also, the score although has like some classic sci-fi elements to it, it dives into a lot of weird things. Like there's country, there's jazz. There's even like during one of the uh, sex scenes, there's like a jazz kind of uh, score going on, but then it turns into something that I would recognize as like an almost inspirational sports track. It's very strange, <laughs> but it's uh, it somehow works. Like all these contradictions really work well uh, within yeah. the film. So I, I thought it was really cool and um, it's beautiful. Like it really is a beautifully shot movie, even with all of the, the strangeness that is incorporated with the editing. But and, yeah. and Candy Clark is awesome, too. Uh, she's uh, she has to play a very. she's very it's like naive and innocent at first and then because of the kind of some of the abuse that goes on with the relationship she really has to she kind of starts being abusive herself almost and in retaliation and it's very interesting to watch i thought her performance was great um so yeah uh, four out of five thought it was awesome yeah for you Brianna, Uh, i would also give it a four um i feel like when i first saw it i probably would have given it a five but re-watching it um Definitely because I don't love the last, the 
the the pacing in the last third, mm-hmm. um, I would say. But I still like I would say overall, um, I think it's awesome. I'm such a like vibes person when it comes to movies, which I have a hard time like articulating. But like vibes and story, I would say. But like when the vibes are right. I sound so stupid, <laughs> but like this movie, the vibes it, are really right. Like there's, I love, I love something I really love about like, I don't know, David Lynch's stuff is that it's very like, not, I don't know if meandering is the right word, but it feels like you're really taking your time through this mm-hmm. strange world that you mm-hmm. don't understand. Yeah. And, get the gaps in logic and time stop yeah. making sense. It's like, no, we're, you're that. meant to have this deliberately idiosyncratic experience. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. 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 That's, it's like the same thing with this. I love, I love shit like that. And it's so like surprisingly funny and, <laughs> and creepy and disturbing. And I love, I love David Bowie in the role. I love, I was thinking how, like especially with I, I love the relationship between between Candy Clark and Bowie in this, but I I was just I like how how totally indifferent he is to other people and how he plays like I don't know how he plays off other people and and it's and I feel like that is maybe informed by him being high <laughs> I don't know but it <laughs> yeah. it works so well how how. I don't know, like how he'll 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 I feel like he'll he'll only express care towards other people when he wants something and the mm-hmm. way he kind of I don't know expresses that physically is kind of subtle. I don't know. I I I liked it. I like him. I like the movie. Yeah, there's no. there's Four one bags of popcorn. <laughs> there's a there's actually one shot that kind of relates to that. I think it's in the beginning where he meets the um, Farnsworth for the first time, the, the patent lawyer, and he goes to shake Bowie's hand. And Bowie, obviously as an alien, doesn't know the custom, so he doesn't do it. But there's never a moment also within his character that looks like he wants to learn or is curious about that. He's just like, yeah, no, yeah. like let's go to the next thing. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, just let's make my money. Sigma grind set. I'm getting that water to my wife, baby. Yeah. So, yeah. Which he doesn't do, is, by the which way. He, which, yeah. which he fails to do, yeah. <laughs> Another way this is so different from Starman is how, like, like Jeff Bridges' character is so eager to learn a- yeah. and 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 um, mm-hmm. suffuse himself with with language and knowledge and, and the pleasures of, of humans and planet Earth, and David Bowie is just, yeah... Sigma yeah. grind set, like <laughs> eyes on the prize, but only if he kind of wants something. Full and, American uh, psycho mode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, I think that that's going to wrap it up for uh, the man who fell to Earth. We're going to be right back and we're going to be talking about Starman. Stick around. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Can't you just leave him alone? What the hell ever happened to good manners? We invited him here. So far to come. So much to do. So little time to fall in love. Look up. Company's coming. John Carpenter's Starman. 
All right, we are back and we are talking Starman, the 1984 American science fiction romance drama directed by John Carpenter and uh, written by uh, no adaptation. This is probably the first science fiction that we've covered so far this month that hasn't been like an adaptation. It's an original screenplay uh, mm-hmm. by Bruce A. Evans and Ronald Gideon, as well as uh, Dean Reisner, which we'll get into when we get into the specifics of what went down with this script, because it's actually a pretty fascinating story. Um, but first things first, we are once again talking about Mr. John Carpenter. It's our 10th time talking about the man, probably putting him up there with like De Palma as one of the most yeah. covered directors on this show. We've done everything from his early breakout 70s genre films like Assault on Precinct 13 and, and Halloween, both of which had these like mind blowing low budget visual ingenuity to them with the widescreen framing and the camera movement and of course the moody synth soundtracks. Uh, but we've also talked about his follow-up string of iconic and all pretty fantastic horror films from The Fog to The Thing to Christine, my personal favorite, Prince of Darkness, which I just find so surreal and and scary in an almost like Italian horror way that I, I just always take mm-hmm. to when I go back and, and rewatch that film. Um, uh, but, but in this era, he really got to experiment within horror as well. Like he did everything from like Tales from the Crypt inspired sequences to gothic horror to body horror, science fiction, body snatcher, horror, apocalyptic stuff. Um, So it was definitely a very cool era for him, which is why it's going to be cool to kind of return to that one uh, today. But obviously, of course, we've also done a little bit of his 90s era, like the James Woods Western horror action or vampires and the the metafictional cosmic horror uh, in, in, in the Mouth of Madness, which we actually talked about with Brianna just a few years back alongside Event Horizon for anyone who hasn't heard that episode. Go back, go, go check it out. Uh, but but, but the, the only things we haven't covered looking back uh, is like, you know, his debut space satire film like Dar Star, you know, co-written by the alien writer Dan O'Bannon. And I guess his Kurt Russell collaborations as well. Like we haven't done the big right. Escape from New York or Big uh, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, which we definitely should do uh, at some point since, you know, those contain a lot of his love for for uh, Howard Hawks films and uh, more yeah. old fashioned Hollywood um, films in a way that I think Starman kind of does as well, which is why I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to uh, bring them out. Man, that dude, his sight and sound ballot. Did you guys see his sight and sound ballot? Four, oh, I I did. No. four Howard Hawks films on it. Oh. Nice. <laughs> Probably <laughs> the most of a single director I saw on anyone else's ballot. <laughs> oh my fucking God. That's awesome. The dude is just, uh, Obsessed, which is why I'm very excited to to do this one where we are going to be going back to that 80s period for a brief detour in his career when, you know, he did get a little tired of everyone being like, dude, you're the spooky guy. You're the body yeah. horror guy, you know, and, and, and when you're not spooky, you know, you're going to do some dirty action stuff like that's that's these are kind of the boxes we're going to put you in. And he was like, I have a love of film. I love old westerns. I love old uh, Hollywood romance films and comedies. And so this came at a time when he really, truly wanted to rebrand as a more diverse filmmaker and essentially ended up with the adult romance version of E.T., this film called Starman. You could even call it sexy E.T. if you want to. What if E.T. looks like Jeff Bridges? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it is It is a, a movie uh, about a, a, an alien who crash lands in Wisconsin, played by stud era Jeff Bridges. Um, <laughs> That's right. 
love love his uh, 70s era in particular of like Last Picture Show, Fat City and Bad Company, which we've talked about, Thunderbolt mm-hmm. Lightfoot. Um, just what a man. And uh, he's playing this alien who takes the form of the husband of a young uh, widow uh, named uh, Karen Allen, or sorry, played by Karen Allen, uh, hot off Manhattan and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, speaking of Spielberg. And uh, she uh, essentially gets asked to drive him from Wisconsin to Arizona so that uh, he can get home with government agents and scientists hot on their trail to prevent that from happening. So if that sounds familiar, it's literally E.T. It's the same movie. <laughs> yeah. And this is why I wanted to bring up the, uh, the the sort of hot script drama that centered around this film, because this was actually in development mm. at the same time and kind of before E.T. a little bit. Yeah. A lot of people seem to be worried that it was too close. Well, this was the thing is that actually basically they both both scripts were available and Columbia had just made Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which we had talked about, which made a lot of money for them and for Spielberg. And um, they, you know, so but they they liked this script so much and they read it before they read uh, the E.T. one that they passed on E.T., because they said it's a little Disney-ish, you know, it's a little, you know, we don't really, we're not sure we wanted to make that version. So they wanted to workshop this more mature version of the concept instead, a choice they very possibly regretted uh, when the box <laughs> office for E.T. came in and they still hadn't finished writing this film yet. And they went, oh, my God, they went and made the film and it's already a hit. And now we have to. So they actually did have to make some changes to it because they were like, it is just too much like that. The original draft that was by the duo who did um, the adaptation for Stephen King stand by me for uh, Rob Reiner. Um, mm. But as a result, uh, Dean Reisner was brought in to actually do a major touch up on this script. And we've talked about him briefly because he's a major Eastwood collaborator. He did Dirty Harry, Das Boat, Play Misty for Me, Sudden Impact, Charlie Varick. Like he did some Don Siegel films as well. Very accomplished screenwriter. And so he wrote this he did like seven drafts on this screenplay or something and somehow ended up uncredited, which he thinks is bullshit. Um, and and he said something, I think there was a quote where he said, he's like, I, I did do 50% of it, but okay. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) He seemed real, real. He's he's definitely a little upset about it. Well, and also he's probably was longer involved in the project than most of the directors. Cause this also changed directors like 10 times, like Adrian Mm line almost made it. Tony Scott almost made it. Peter Hyams almost made it like every director had a different approach that they were offering and like what they wanted to do with it and Carpenter eventually ended up winning out because he pitched to them a very romantic not necessarily special effects heavy version of it where he was like I kind of want to do a bit of a road movie, which we could just shoot, you know, in a car on location, put me in a car with two actors. We're done. Um, And but also, you know, he saw it as an opportunity to do, you know, a little bit of a kidnapping thriller, a little bit of like an odd couple comedy where he could pull from Mm -hmm. Hollywood films like It Happened One Night is the big one that he always references because it's a screwball comedy about an at odds couple like falling in love on the road. You also have a little bit of the 39 steps in there. And he was like, these are how I will distinguish it from E.T. And they totally mm-hmm. uh, bought it, uh, even though everyone else was like, yeah. we know you're kind of making a Spielberg movie. Karen Allen, apparently on set, kept calling it Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind because oh, wow. because because they fuck. <laughs> that was the idea, I think. Um, <laughs> she was like, there you go. That's that's what that that's what that is. Um, and, and I will <laughs> say kind, this is contact. Fourth kind. Fuck. That's right. Awesome. Um, <laughs> very clever, Karen. Um <laughs> 
And and you can tell, I think, right off the bat, this is definitely a more commercial, predictable kind of narrative stab for Carpenter. In, in But in that way that is, I kind of find appealing because it's in that way that De Palma always kind of wished he was like a pop filmmaker like Spielberg, despite the fact that he couldn't be one. Yeah. Um, and I've got to say, Carpenter kind of succeeds at it. And I know a little I bit of so this too. stems from for the sure. fact that, you know, the thing really bombed for him. And you can tell that he's like, I got to have I, this seems like kind of like a sure thing hit. I'm going to ape a little bit of the Spielberg thing. But it's yeah. just like <laughs> he, he kind of does it well. Like this is a sweet, sincere film. It has it's the amazing. kind of wonder and awe that you would expect of that kind of film. It has a you know, it, the script has a lot of sensitivity and kind of generosity to it. Yeah, and it, I liked you, it a lot. This yeah, is my first time watching this, so. Yeah, me too, actually. Um, this has been on my list for a while. Uh, but you could tell his focus was really like the the romance that he wanted to do instead of, like like you said, the, the government stuff that I guess E.T. eventually dives more uh, heavily into. Because um, even the stuff that they sprinkle throughout this film seems like they're just doing it to, to keep the plot moving and have a little bit of a push for them to to feel like they have to go from location to location. Because often mm-hmm. it's like they have their, their really great uh, scenes together where you know th- they're learning something about one another whatever it is whatever progress they're making and then immediately after it shows one of the scientists or an agent of the government going to that location uh, discovering exactly what we already know as an audience <laughs> member and then moving back to the romantic stuff and that's where most of the focus lies so it, I could just tell that that's where he wanted to uh, really hone in on compared to yeah. the other stuff. John Carpenter kind of a sweetie you know, yeah, maybe, you know, low maybe key, low key and sweetie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do like that he's still able to, um, and and I like that he only does it in this part. But when he does a little bit of his body horror stuff with the kind of birth of the alien Jeff Bridges, I oh, guess. Oh yeah. Oh my um, god. That's yeah. Very the opening Carpenter. like twenty or thirty minutes, you're kind of like, oh, I see how this is like a John Carpenter movie. Like yeah. even even the space stuff, like the opening of uh, Voyager space probe containing images and messages of what Earth is like, including blasting the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. I was like, that feels <laughs> yeah. like a gag that might have been included in his debut Dark Star. Where it was mm-hmm. kind of like a satire of like blue collar working on on the space on the spaceship. Did it have like rock and roll infused in it? Uh, well? There there was there was a tiny bit of that element. Like all the dudes on that ship look like guys who you would they should have been at Woodstock. You know. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, because even at the beginning of this movie, it has like the the stars and and the radio announcer announcing that they're sending off that that package to to space for the message that they're sending off, and um and they have like science fiction. Kind of, I, I wouldn't. I don't know if it would be necessarily score, but kind of sound effects, and then it fades into the Rolling Stones song, which I thought was. Which well, yeah, was because literally, cool. as it like goes by the camera, it like travels by that. Yeah. Like this, this Voyager probe is landing on an alien planet. Presumably, it is an invitation to aliens to respond to us, to say hi, to say what's up. Here's look at all these Earth images. Look at all these things. It's a, you know, it's a very friendly. It's a, a very friendly version of uh, alien contact, and us actually inviting them rather than yes. the reverse of them just kind of showing up. Because Jeff Bridges, eventually, you know, his whole deal is that he is an alien who does respond. And he's not really Jeff Bridges. He's a glowing blue orb that like hangs out in a in, in a ship. Um, and uh, before he can even drop down and kind of say what's up, 
of course, in typical human fashion, he's immediately militarily shot down by an early <laughs> warning system and crash lands in this giant sea of fire in a Wisconsin forest, like a massive explosion. And I was watching an interview with John Carpenter. He said this is like one of the biggest explosions he did other than like the, I guess like kind of like the ending of the thing. Um, and, uh, apparently they tried to do it on like a wet forest actually in Wisconsin. And they said they had to do it like three nights in a row because it kept fire. Wow. Like the, the plume wasn't big enough. He's like, it doesn't look like an alien is crash landing. It just like looks like it just <laughs> hits soaking grass, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, wow. That's wild. Um, I do like the uh, idea. Um, it's, I think it's one of the first things that they, they kind of talk about. And when he's learning to communicate as an alien where he can only sing like satisfaction to her at first. And I found it funny that, yeah, I found it funny that we, uh, that, that it's like the package that we came up with to send them the message. We wouldn't think about necessarily like they, they wouldn't understand that communication. So they would just think satisfaction by the Rolling Stones is like our language. And I, I, it's like, we didn't really, it's cool that we're like, look at this rock music, but I don't think we thought it through in 1977. Bring, yeah. Bringing that to them. That's what he's like. He's like, I know how to say greetings in like 50 languages. And I know how to sing this one song. That's, the, yeah. that's exactly. where it stops. It's basically yeah. all I know as he crash lands uh, nearby the home of uh, obviously the, the widowed Jenny uh, played by Karen Allen who uh, we are introduced to spending her nights uh, drinking wine and torturing herself with 16 millimeter home movies of her late husband played by Jeff Bridges and footage that uh, actually just he and Alan and um, uh, Bridge and, and Carpenter basically shot first. It was the very first thing they shot for this film because they were like, we want to get this very personal grounded, like loving thing. And then you guys can kind of play off of it from, from there. And I really like mm -hmm. the incorporation of, of the footage and how he like, that's how he gets Jeff Bridges's like visualization. That's how he picks mm -hmm. up kind of his mannerisms. It's going through photographs and trying to recreate this person. But obviously, you know, you can't just recreate a person from, from the images and that's kind of, you know, a person is more complicated than that. And I think that that's like one of the great touches of like the opening horror section that you were referring to Jamie, where he is just like this floating POV shot of like the bay and then creeping on her garage in her house. And it's basically like the sci-fi blue orb equivalent of the Michael Myers vision where yeah. he's like, you know, looking yeah. around her house and and he gets the DNA of his hair and they fucking turn him into it's like the uh, like the baby to adult Jeff Bridges version of the uh, werewolf transformation American werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, my it, God. Yeah. He's so slimy and and like stretching and pulling apart as he's getting bigger. And I, I love that that's how she's introduced to him because it is this question yeah, of she like, watches the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, because like immediately you would be like, OK, well, that's not my husband. You know, some you know, it's not like she so sees him and is like, wow, you're back. It's like, no, that she was, knows, knows from the, from the get go. Yeah. yeah, that was the biggest surprise for me. I thought the premise was going to be more like she discovers he's the alien. Um, and then when it starts right off the bat with he's already dead, I'm, uh, she's watching this insane transformation. I'm like, well, it's going to take a, a different spin because no, it's, it's I know can that she fall in, fall in love, love with her husband again, despite knowing that despite watching that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he it's starts powerful. with uh, <laughs> the game against him. I'll say that. <laughs> have you guys ever been to uh, the Museum of Moving Image in New York City? I have not. No. If you are ever there, I don't know if it's still there, um, but last couple times I was there, they have like all the heads 
that they used what? in this sequence. Oh, like wow. each one from baby to adult Jeff Bridges, it's like, I don't know, an insane amount of heads, but they're all in this case. It's very cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that. Holy. Those are freaky. I'll be honest. Those like halfway in between ones where it's like, it's sort of <laughs> Jeff Bridges. They're yeah. freaky, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it gets really strange. They even do this weird thing where it, it looks like his head's kind of looking directly into the camera and it does like a neck stretch of sorts as he's getting older. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh. pretty wild. And it's you don't see anything really like it uh, for the rest of the film. And I, I like that aspect of it because then he just starts to focus on the, the romantic qualities more so. No, J- Jeff Bridges really fast is he's kind of like the Terminator. Like he's just doing <laughs> yeah. like the, the, the naked. It's like when Arnold first lands in and every, every, he's just walking around naked and she knows you know, that, it, you know, it, it's not real. And like, this is like, this is a body snatchers esque thing that's, that's taking place here. And one of the first things he does, you know, is try like a, all of the different languages that he knows to speak to her. And it basically just makes her go like, that's not my husband. This is freaking me out. She like passes out. And, and yep. the image of him has so much weight though, that right. it, it, it does disarm her. Like she has a gun and she can't shoot him despite the fact that she knows that this is like a monster right, right in right. front of her, which is like a really cool dynamic that, sets off between them, especially as the alien, you know, starts watching the footage of Jeff Bridges and is like, you know, starts making all of the faces and jokes to try to like yeah. behave like him. And, you know, it's him learning how to be silly is, is adorable. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, it's fun to watch Jeff Bridges kind of, cause he doesn't want to do it full Jeff Bridges. Obviously he's playing this alien version. So he kind of does like a diet version of it, but it just leads to almost more silliness. So I, yeah. Yeah, I really like the performance. Also here. movie Jeff Bridges showing alien Jeff Bridges, how to shoot a gun that was kind of cool <laughs> yeah you know? oh yeah <laughs> yeah he but, goes but, like straight action mode for a while he even does like a precise shot and then flips the gun in his hand and, and grabs it again oh yeah kind of cool yeah well, and, and, Bridges, oh no sorry no go ahead I was just gonna say Jeff Bridges whole like his physical performance in this is insane it's oh, like spectacular so fucking good the way he is like ro- the, the way he's kind of robotic but not quite and the way he moves, like, there is a thing he does with his mouth where he'll say something in that, like, robotic kind of way. And then his mouth kind of moves, like, a little bit again as if, like, he kind of didn't realize he shouldn't keep going. But there are no words coming out. Like, just yeah. this little kind yeah. of glitch. Yeah. It's just, like, a very, like, uh, to, to, to have to perform like that for a whole movie, it just, it's, like... It's incredible. No, he's yeah, he's he awesome. Has. He's doing like the little baby, like baby animalish type behavior, where he has this very mm-hmm. clumsy understanding of language and of obviously all these interactions that he's getting into. He's doing these like jerky ticks and odd smiles, and has these yeah. like strangely like delayed reaction like, to things. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh. Well, and, and and I read that he said that he modeled the performance on birds. Uh, he was like that. He. he <laughs> He, that, that he that was like, like the, the like the, the head tilts that he'll do and all of yeah that? like oh all God, of those head so tilts funny. because he was like he wanted it to appear inhuman and like primal but like not in like a scary way and he was like he thinks that birds are kind of friendly he likes watching birds he was like you know yeah. so was, he's like so yeah. if you if you if you watch this man do it it definitely has like this creepy inhuman vibe to it but also in kind of an innocent way as hostile. well so like it's like a very cute like way of describing that as well as I think he said too that he had uh, he had recently become a father around the time that he was shooting this and he said that it was it was cool because 
he got to see like all of these little these little creatures figuring out the basic building blocks of life for the first time as well <laughs> and he was basically like yeah just it, birds and children that was like this entire performance came from and actually it was such like an amazing performance that he ended up getting a stealth out of nowhere oscar nomination for it and it's john so carpenter's oh God, only <laughs> oscar nomination <laughs> whoa it's so crazy that something because i i think it's a, a an awesome performance but i'm just shocked that this is something the academy picked up on like i it, it's such a no, such I, a weird it, it one. has to have just been critical acclaim like everyone who yeah. wrote about the movie when it came out was like jeff bridges watch the movie like yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's it's wild. Like he does these even these subtle things like but like as he progressively gets better at communicating, he'll say something and then have almost a smirk to himself like he's yeah. like he's picking up on it and he's proud of himself as an alien. <laughs> uh it's uh it's adorable. It's it's great. Yeah. No, I've, I I really like like this movie became like really unpredictable really fast because in the Mm -hmm. opening I was like oh this is like yeah like an alien he crash he crash lands he goes Terminator mode he's taking over bodies I was like you kind of feel like you know where that movie's going you don't expect like rom-com road movie in like a 1977 Mustang that was not what I thought that this movie was when I was putting it on and you know she's and because basically he's like I need to get to my like escape pod or like my pickup point that I was headed towards. I only have a couple days to do it. And, you know, all of a sudden, Karen Allen, who's also doing a pretty great performance, I think um, she has to uh, drive this alien wearing her husband like a skin suit to Arizona, maybe like that's all she basically knows. She's like, oh, OK, I guess yeah. I, I just have to take this guy. And they also have like, you know, government agents and they have a NASA scientist, um, Sherman, played by Charles Martin Smith, uh, famous director, by the way, of uh, Air Bud and uh, Dolphin oh. Tail. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he went on to have a very storied career and this he's just a great greasy schlubby dude who we first see like licking his fingers and watching basketball which is a a John Carpenter (laughs) favorite pastime as we all know as well so (laughs) if this came out a little bit later you'd be playing video games yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) but but, but he's operating uh, he's on their tail during the sort of like rom-com trip that they're on um, at the behest of the shadowy government agents who in, in typical science fiction horror fashion want to dissect the alien they don't even want to talk with him they just you know they want to just uh, take him down and obviously uh, Sherman over the course of the film gets increasingly concerned about the militaristic sort of combat heavy approach to hunting him down I think at one point he's just like forget about morality what happened to good banners <laughs> we invited yeah. him here like what, why you guys <laughs> yeah. can't yeah. did we you hear know? that welcoming message we sent out and we're just yeah. gonna drain the guy <laughs> yes but but they they are hot on their trail because of all of these various hilarious altercations that he essentially gets into um, with, with with Jenny on the road. The first of which is like they run into like this truck driver who she's be trying because at first, you know, the relationship that they have is one that's, um, you know, very, um, uh, I guess you could say questionable because she is being kind of held at you know she's being kidnapped as she put it like she's screaming help I'm being kidnapped by an alien Uh, and all of the (laughs) other people are kind of like well we don't really know how to deal with this like when the truck driver comes up and it's just uh, Jeff Bridges just yelling greetings (laughs) (laughs) he's just like what grabbing her and she's trying to run away (laughs) yeah Yeah, she's like he's just like she's grabbing him and pulling him and he's just kind of like allowing her to she's like help I'm being kidnapped he's just like standing there smiling 
smiling while she like pulls him along. Yeah, and even yeah. his like his I guess uh, you could call it aggression in this scene or whatever, or <laughs> retaliation or defense is still not like he's not harming the humans or whatever. He just has this very passive way about him, even if he has to get out of a jam, because he ends up using like mind telekinesis of some sort to heat up the hammer or the crowbar that the guy's well, holding. And, and his little right. miracle orbs. He, he has, has like these balls. Yeah, he has his little silver balls that he uh, holds in his hand and he can basically just like make magic happen of some kind, you know, to get yes. him out of the various situations that he's in. They can heal things, they can explode things, whatever he needs to do basically just to, but, but he doesn't want to use them violently is the idea. It's just if he's yeah. backed into a corner, you know, he, he might get have back to. Back a guy into a corner. What else is he yeah. going to use but use his little orbs? That's right. That's why I have them at all times. And I, I got I I love the various like fish out of water scenarios that they came up with for for him, like figuring out how gas stations and restrooms work, uh, eating or diner driving. food for the first time. Dude, the way that he eats uh, American apple pie oh my for God. the first time, or I guess Dutch apple pie. I guess <laughs> yeah, you could say. Dutch apple pie. But he and and he is just stoked by it. And this is where I went. Oh my God. Speaking of uh, Brianna talking about David Lynch, did he, did David Lynch steal Dougie Jones from this? I I, I oh, couldn't man. get it out of my head oh, watching my God, this. I didn't even think of that. That's yeah. so. Oh my God! As soon as he eats the apple pie, I went, Oh my God! This is just what Dougie <laughs> Jones like. This is Dougie Jones having coffee for the first time. This yeah. is like they even have similar like mannerisms in the way they have a physical performance, like like the yeah. jolting kind of bird like uh, physicality and. And uh, just repeating words over and over again until they finally get a hold of them. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, that yeah, that's a cool thought for sure. Yeah, I also sorry. love the uh, the the driving one that they also do when he learns. Um, he's like, yeah, green light means go, red light means stop, mm. and yellow light means go really fast. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, uh, he's, it's he's, adorable. He, he's picking up on all of the, uh, the the beauties of America parking lot brawls with hunters, you know, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Because he doesn't understand their uh, primitive uh, behavior. He even magically brings the a dead deer on the hood back to life and and frees it. A, a gesture that is like one of the first ones that actually really moves uh, Jay right. and kind of mm-hmm. goes. You know what? I kind of do want to help this this alien who's kind of a moron. Um, yeah. And she I, goes from, from the, like, you know, leaving him at that restaurant with some money and whatever, so that he can maybe get to his next location. But, mm-hmm. uh, from basically wielding a gun at these truckers that are going to try to beat up the <laughs> Jeff bridges. And she's along for the ride after that. I mean, you, yeah. you're pretty much, yeah. You're well, I up. mean, yeah. Cause she, I mean, she has to really warm up to him because like the yes. beginnings of this is like, it's a violent dynamic. Like it's a technical kidnapping her. Like he actually has her at gunpoint in the car and she's freaking out and she's talking about how she's so like jumpy that, you know, you're going to freak. You're just, you're freaking me out. The holding the pistol at me and all of this. And so he eventually mm-hmm. does disarm it when he realizes what she's saying and basically goes like, you know, I, I mean, you no harm. I, you know, I just need to be taken to Arizona because my ship leaves in three days or I'm going to die. And, you know, she'll have to essentially watch her husband die again in alien form, which is kind of cruel when you think about it, actually. Um, But, but, you know, she does get won over by like him singing Frank Sinatra in the car and finding out Mm -hmm. that on his home planet, they love to just do singing and and copying songs. That's why he was singing the I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) And I love when he sings uh, New York by Sinatra. He He's hitting the notes. like he, It's like a precise uh, singing technique he's doing, but he he had, like lacks expression. So it, it's just, it, it was a cool performance for him to balance those two things where he's like, I'm going to hit the note because I, 
I would think that this, you know, his species would be intelligent enough to understand that. But then he's not really using like that, you know, the human emotion that you would if you were singing a Sinatra song. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a cool little choice he makes there. Well, and, and the nice little conversations they have, too, where he's constantly asking questions. I love how many times he's like, she says a word and he doesn't understand it. And he always asks her for, like, the definition of it. She's just like, yeah. you know, and, and she has to pull out, like, all of the different, you know, uh, thesaurus. And she's like, you know, here's all the other versions of it. But one of the best ones is when she finally, you know, she uh, the, the picture of her husband, like, comes out of her wallet. And he eventually does kind of have to, you know, go like define love to me. And she's like, mm-hmm. it's when you care for someone else more than you do uh, for yourself. It's when someone is a part of you and when they die and she gets cut off. And it's just mm-hmm. like this, you know, this moment where he kind of finally realizes, you know, what he's done by bringing this, you know, form back to her so that she can see it. And, and ultimately the idea is that, you know, it, it's turning all of this stuff that's pain and horror for her and it's giving her a kind of second chance to turn it, to have some catharsis with it, to turn it into mm-hmm. a, you know, experience love for, you know, a, a, a second time. And also to give this alien, like, <laughs> just, you know, talk about the man who fell to earth, give this alien the American experience as well at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Just cross country road trips, Hal Needham style, you know, beautiful, rich, textured look to the whole thing. Very much of a piece with like his fog the thing era like red flannel cowboy boots highway driving kind of vibe you know this aliens live in it for the few uh, days that he he gets to drive across the country yeah one of my uh, favorite little moments it's just kind of a, a cute moment is when he uh he wants to eat the apple pie first and she's like no that's oh, dessert yeah. and he's just like why <laughs> like, he does, she's like, and like that's she's just like that's how just it is. this is how it is and you can just tell he's kind of frustrated almost he's like this is ridiculous i just well, yeah, he, he, he just goes back to it and she's just like yeah you know what fair enough like why you know let him <laughs> <laughs> yeah never really questioned it before <laughs> we're changing the game here yeah, well, and, and I love, too, that it's, like, it, it takes simplistic, like, almost children's movie sentiments and yes. jokes like that on totally. paper. But it really does handle them with this real, like, romantic delicacy to it of just, like, the mood of it and to the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the actual sensitivity of the two performances. The way that she, like, gazes at him sometimes. Yeah, um, like, she really just forgets for moments that, that uh, he's an alien. And it's, like, she just constantly sees her husband. Yeah, Even, I mean... I, at a certain point, she begins to like actually get comfortable with him, right? I love mm-hmm. that part when they're staying at the motel and she almost strips in front of him without thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just one, and she realizes what she's doing before she takes her shirt off, and she's just kind of like, "Oh, that was weird." I felt like, like briefly while I was talking to you, I felt like my husband was just back in the room with me, and he recognizes so that and starts to think about her romantically by watching in Carpenter fashion, watching Burt Lancaster and Deborah Kerr uh, do the beach kiss in from here to eternity. And you mm-hmm. can see him being like, Oh, this is what romance is. Look at Burt Lancaster. Look at yeah. her kid. Look at him kiss her. Wow. And I don't know. I just found little details like this to just be very endearing and moving in their performances. Yeah. I also, uh, I like that because with with Bowie's alien in uh, the man who fell to earth, there's like a an obvious uh, coldness to him, and I like that with this they they kind of have him connect with the human body that he's in. Like he mentioned something saying like uh, uh, anything this body feels, I feel. Uh, so it just it it, it kind of I think speaks to him just actually fusing with the way of life and the body itself, and and maybe even the romance and love that he that he eventually feels for. Um, or uh, Alan, uh, so yeah, I just I, th- I thought that that was a really sincere and nice scene. 
I also feel yeah. like this movie is like, I mean, to be fair, I have not seen, I've seen quite a few Spielberg movies, but like not most of them, I would mm-hmm. say. But I feel like mm-hmm. this movie was for a movie that is so, you know, Spielberg-esque mm-hmm. uh, in that kind of way. It's like, it, it felt shockingly tragic and like devastating to me. Like the idea of losing like somewhat like losing your partner, your romantic partner, and then their body is brought back, but it's not them and Mm -hmm. it will never be them. Like just being reminded of that. Like she, obviously she does eventually, but then it's even more tragic when she does love this new person who's in her old lover's body and he has to leave. But I don't know. I just felt like it was just, this like when they're in the when they're in the restaurant, I think she starts talking. There's something they're talking about in the restaurant. She talks about her honeymoon at one point, and then maybe it's in the restaurant where she talks about love. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I uh, it's just so so devastating to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. yeah, even no, with all of the like, because uh, the majority of the film still is wrapped up in its kind of romance and sincerity and cuteness i guess you could say but the whole situation what she is going through that whole time is really devastating like even you know there's moments of levity when she's like reminded of her husband through him and Mm -hmm. uh, but even that you would if you're you know trying to just think through her process that would eventually lead to sadness too because it'd be like oh i'm I'm seeing my husband, and then instantly you'd remember, but it's an alien. Right. <laughs> so there's this, it's probably just this back and forth. She's yeah, doing it's, the it's, as soon time. as they get into the highway chases on like the wet, like nighttime highways and everything like that, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, the government is chasing us because I'm in a car with an alien. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right. right. <laughs> but then it is uh, so sweet when she starts to love this new thing in a different way. And like obviously yeah. it's facilitated by the fact that. It looks like her husband, mm-hmm. like it wouldn't be able to work if it didn't look like him. But there is a sweetness in having this new experience with yeah. something she used to love, getting yeah. a weird and, kind and, of closure. And yeah. and like she definitely still acknowledges is that it's that it is different in some way, like yeah. which is yes. which is interesting because you know like the, the the section of the film where you know they are like fully on the run together i think like they eventually have to start hitchhiking because you know i think they're uh, in order to save her because like cops just like at one point shotgun her oh yeah, and yeah he, has to, right. he has to use one basically of the and it's really brutal moment where she basically like dies and he has yeah. to use he has to use one of the orbs to to heal her and bring her and back survive the explosion that they do when he just hurdles oh, into yeah. a semi truck uh, and they yeah. have that awesome like oh it's like it's very it's very superman-esque where he's holding her uh and walking kind of through the shield. fire yeah walking through right. the fire it's very superhero-esque yeah like that's that, that that's a cool moment but but also he starts to realize that you know he's putting her in danger through this and he decides that he's gonna leave and she's just like well okay you can't leave without me you got to tell me what you're doing yeah i love when she's just he's just like what are you like are you upset with me have i done something and he's just like yeah you didn't say goodbye motherfucker yeah. mm. you know and then he's like what is goodbye <laughs> how do you say goodbye <laughs> you know? um 
And and this is probably the most like overtly sort of like romantic section of the film where she is, you know, she's upset with with that because she is genuinely starting to kind of um, fall for him during this sort of, you know, cross country hitchhiking that they're doing through basically like Monument Valley, John Ford style. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about this idea that she always wanted a baby with Scott, but she couldn't have a baby. Um, right. And uh, Jeff Bridges being like, I know what, like how reproduction works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and of course there's a scene where they get all uh, soaked in the rain and they're in a train box car together, making oh. eyes at each other yes. and bam, they are having sex. And as he puts it, he is giving her a baby. Um, and, you know, solidifying also, uh, the, uh, Terminator qualities that I was talking about earlier with Jeff Bridges. Cause I was, I, I was like, um, friend of the pod doc had a very funny review about this point where he was like, James Cameron and John Carpenter both knew what women really want to be nonviolently kidnapped by an extreme, extremely autistic armed man who impregnates <laughs> you after having sex exactly once. <laughs> because <laughs> it, 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 it has romance. it's the it's the exact same sex scene from terminator practically which came out the yeah. same year so which is which is kind of crazy it's, uh, it's, it's a much gentler <laughs> conceptualize this at the same time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh but, it, but, but it also leads to a really beautiful moment where he is he wakes up like like after sex and he has this stupid grin on his face and at first you think it might just be like kind of like a gag because he's like he just had sex for the first time he's he's an alien he's having a great time um <laughs> but but there there is an element baked into it too where he is like you know like i used one of the orbs or whatever like a, the, i created a miracle like you have that baby mm-hmm. that you wanted and it is your husband's um and it is also mine in a way but it you know it is biologically your husband's mm-hmm. and uh he's she's he's telling her that it's going to grow up to be a teacher it's going to be like this great thing and also i i will say it's nice he also gives her the option that if she doesn't want it he will abort it as well which is like a detail i wasn't expecting the movie to include i was like oh this is just going to be this is just how like she just naturally go with it right away yeah. yeah but no he he does he's just like this is an amazing thing that you told me that you wanted and if this, these aren't the circumstances or it's too weird i get it because it's also an alien child but yeah. <laughs> if you want if you want to have a baby and it is your you know it is your dead husband will technically be the father this is your chance to do it and she's like totally stoked about that and she even is like where is like one of where is uh my baby's father like going to be from or whatever and he has to like look at all of the various stars and he's like oh that one <laughs> or I think, you know, yeah i think that he one. makes a mistake yeah he makes yeah. a mistake <laughs> he's like that one. Oh wait no i'm sorry it's more to the left <laughs> yeah yeah like, like like she she actually asks questions and wants to know about you know him as a person the alien you yes. know which is like such a not just in, the in, husband proxy intriguing detail yeah 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 i also uh, this is a little bit of a side thing but just it's how he treats her i guess is the connection is I love how he constantly and so innocently says her like full name when like there's one great Jenny part where Hayden. they get separated. Jenny yeah. Hayden. And he's just like he so finally like they finally get together again and he's just like, It's nice to see you, Jenny Hayden. And and, and there's <laughs> something about it that's so f- unbelievably adorable and loving uh and sincere that I just I I had to mention it. It's great. Jeff Bridges has like a very sweet face. He's yes, got like totally. the perfect face for this character. It's so like warm and like mm-hmm. I don't know, teddy bearish. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and, and, and Jeff Bridges, too, also just kind of like he's got like that warm personality to him. I, I was watching yeah. the um, uh, there was this adorable and hilarious uh, moment included because Shout Factory did a really nice Blu-ray for this film a few years back. And I finally got a chance to watch it because I had bought it with the intention of watching it. I just hadn't done it yet. And I so I watched the interviews that they shot for that as well. And there's this amazing part where Bridges and and, and Carpenter are both being interviewed and uh, Bridges really praises the line in the film, which we'll get to here in a second, where about, you know, how humans are at our best or, you know, or at least, you know, we try to be at our best when things are at their worst. And, and Bridges was like, you know, I really believe that, you know, like mm-hmm. we sometimes Aww. we need a good shake and we'll rise to the occasion, but people can be good. And, you know, like I and and it immediately cuts to Carpenter, who's like, yeah, I didn't really believe that. But, you know, like, just look <laughs> at the world. But uh, but it was a positive note and it was a positive movie. And I had had enough of the darkness for a bit and I kind of wanted to believe it, you know? Yeah, Aww. yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's like, I wanted to believe it. So I made yeah. this film That's to try so, so I can watch it and convince myself. Yeah. So oh Bridges just kind of has that energy. Like he, he really yeah. does kind of buy the into this, this, the, the goodness of this character and of this alien and of experiencing all of this, you know, beauty. I mean, even when they stop in Vegas, which you would <laughs> think would be like a totally harrowing section of the film where he just gets like assaulted in Vegas <sighs> or something, or he gets attracted to the glamour or something. But instead it's literally once again, I'm I'm side eyeing David Lynch a little no, bit. No, I was here. just I was just about as soon as you started to bring it up, I was like, Mr. Jackpots. Mr. Jackpots. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Bridges goes Dougie Jones mode and he starts winning jackpot after jackpot so that they can rent a car and get back on the road. Mm, yeah. David Lynch Starman head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and 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 just the, the the way that he delivers those lines, and and like again, they're very very sentimental, and they're almost to a bit of a sickening degree. But it's just I don't know. There's something about the way that it's shot and the way that it's delivered. I was just really moved by like that uh, monologue he gets where she asks him what his home planet is like and what it's like up 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 where he's from, and he says it, it is beautiful. It's not like this, but it is beautiful. There's only one language, one law, one people. There's no war, no hunger. The strong do not victimize the helpless, but we are. You know, we are very civilized, but we have lost something. And I think all of Mm. you here are so very much alive and also Mm -hmm. different. And, you know, I I will... I will miss the cooks and the singing and the dancing and the eating and you know. Yeah, I, I love that. That's what he mentions. It's not like anything super complicated. It's just like the food, the dancing, the love. Like Absolutely. That. It's 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 great that that's just what he kind of. It's literally the happy version of overdosing on Americana yes. versus yeah, exactly. the man who fell to earth, which is like the corrupting nature of it. You know. Yeah. Instead, of you're overdosing on apple pie, baby. And cherry cobbler eventually too, which he he's, yeah. he kind of yes. likes the cherry cobbler too. He's experimenting. <laughs> yeah yeah well and 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 it all leads to this big finale where the, the government and the scientists have all you know they're hunting him down and um you know sherman uh, eventually does get to him and he's like these guys are gonna capture you they're gonna medically experiment on you even though you know for the most part i guess you're just kind of a fr- i think at one point he's just like are you here to study us like i have so many questions for you um mm-hmm. I, and, and which made me realize that kieran allen is actually surprisingly incurious actually as a character about the idea that he's an alien because like yeah, the true. nasa scientists all the questions are like you know like what are you doing here like what is what like you know what what is your What's society your like you know like all this kind of stuff and he's just like oh so you're like an anthropologist he's like I guess so. You know, we've been we've been looking. I, I we observe you, and he's like, you are a strange species, not like any other, and you'd be surprised how many there are. Intelligent but savage, 
And Mm -hmm. that's when he gets that line that Bridges was talking about where he's like, you know what I find so beautiful about you that you are at your very best when things are at their worst. Um, and that is what inspires him to like, let him go, let them drive to the crater. I love the detail also that they're driving to a crater, that the crater is the, 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 the takeoff point for Mm -hmm. all of this. Like almost like Mm -hmm. a ship has landed here hundreds and hundreds of years ago and left a crater and it's returning. And that definitely hits the, the cyclical nature of the mortality stuff they're doing with the husband and everything as well. And it also leads to a great gag where (laughs) Karen Allen kisses the NASA scientist to thank him. Yes, and, yes. and Bridges does it too, which is just a beautiful moment. And he does the 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 classic Bridges smirk after he kisses him and everything. It's it's fucking it's so funny. And he charming. was saying goodbye. That's how you say goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. I loved it. Yeah, and it leads to the a finale where the giant silver spherical ship drops into the crater while helicopters are chasing them and the neon colors and the snow are all around them uh, in, in the crater to take him home. I love the detail of the snow creating that sort of like unnatural effect of it and all of the, the colors. It's just so otherworldly and unreal looking like it's in this really Mm -hmm. expressive way. It's like the pure emotion is just coloring the actors and, you know, like the way that they're uh, filmed and everything like that as she is having to once again, you know, technically she's being given the chance for the first time to actually say goodbye to her husband, which is yeah. funny because yeah. that is actually the same ending as E.T. where they, I you know, they, so, yeah. they, the, the kids get to cathartically uh, get over their home trauma and say goodbye to a friend. It's, it's kind of the same thing. But I will say I, I, I might need to rewatch E.T. I was moved by this in a way I don't remember being moved by the finale of E.T. in the same way. Maybe it's because I look at that sickly little monster and I'm like fucking I'm demon like, you know whereas this you get to kind of look into Jeff Bridges' dreamy eyes a little bit and yeah. you know there's a little bit of a different vibe going on yeah this this ending really worked for me and it honestly made me realize how much I kind of care and I'm gonna miss J- J- Bridges' alien uh, as he leaves because um, I would say like for me throughout the film I was I was into it and some of the gags I found uh, to be incredibly endearing and adorable, but also, like we even mentioned it, kind of juvenile, like stuff that you'd almost see in a kid's movie or a family movie. But it just led to such sincerity. So this this finale really ends up working so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. She's literally like, take me with you. I want to go to space. I want to be your space wife. And he's just like, uh, I can't do that. You're going to die. And she's like, I don't care. And she's like, I care. You know? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't want you to die. I want you to keep living and have this baby. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, she, she, he eventually does asks, you know, tell me again how to say goodbye. And she just says, kiss me and say that you love me. And that's basically mm. it, you know? And she she really gets a chance to actually, you know, uh, have some closure with this monumental loss that she was like not dealing with at the beginning of the film, as as we could see. And I will say the choice of final shot is unbelievable. The way that it holds on Karen Allen's face while she watches it fly up. And the ca- we watch it from the perspective of the camera just slowly starting to rise and float above her on this, which is the most Spielbergian moment in the whole thing. It might even be better than uh, the version that Spielberg does it in, in his film, which is um, just that moment of pure wonder of her looking up at this amazing spaceship. They probably just didn't have the money for the spaceship like Close Encounters did. <laughs> so they were just kind of like, hey, we had the one shot of it landing. We don't really have the big, amazing shot of after, but it totally works for him because you 
get you see it all in her face. She's like, yeah. look at this amazing spectacle that I'm seeing, but also it's tied in with this bittersweet catharsis and then just credits. And that's it. That's the movie. I was like, yeah, because that's really where it lies is their romance and um, and kind of her, uh, I guess, reconciling the fact that she lost her husband and having a second chance to say goodbye. And I oh, like, well, and shit, we haven't mentioned it. And the, the fucking the theme kicking in. Oh yeah, the the pulsy, dreamy like oh, uh, score God, to it, it's like so that. Gorgeous. Oh my God, and it's by Jack Nietzsche because uh, it's one of the few actually non Carpenter uh, uh, scores for right. this film. I'm surprised it took us that this long to mention it because the theme comes up a bunch of times in the film, but it really kicks in in that moment. Um, uh, and yeah, he this guy did like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Exorcist, oh, Blue wow. Collar, Cruising, very accomplished um, composer. And yeah, this was just kind of mind-blowing um, theme, just central theme for the film that just really sent home all of the emotion of it and, the, again, with the colors and the performances. So, yeah, I was I was almost in, in tears watching the ending of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. And, like, they really hammer it home, too, like, having all these lines. Like, we already mentioned the, um, you know, take me with you and, uh, like, I care. But then yeah. they also have, uh, like, tell the baby about me. And then she promises yeah. that she will. And then he's, he, he does the, the Jenny Hayden thing where he's like, goodbye, Jenny Hayden. It's just, <laughs> it's so built in to be like blatantly just romantic. It's a tearjerker. Yeah, it's, it's such a it's tearjerker. Awesome. It's really good. It's very heartfelt. And it's fun to watch that from Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also it does actually ring true with, uh, not to keep hammering at home, but it rings true with what they end up doing with, uh, Dougie and the Twin Peaks stuff too. Like I think mm-hmm. about that moment when he's hugging, uh, Naomi Watts and her kid and he's just like, you know, I, I, I love you, Sonny Jim oh or what, God. you know, like, yeah, like totally. all the, all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's functionally written into the story in the same way where it's like, you know, that this thing, you're this, so this, right. That's crazy. This, yeah, that's this, Starman. this, the science fiction scenario has come into place it, to is essentially inadvertently finish some leftover like emotional business from this other dimension and over the course of this that he just kind of makes people the people's lives around him better and then when when it when his job is done he kind of ascends back and he goes back and it's just yeah it's just it's such a i don't know it's such a moving dynamic more people should tell the story (laughs) yeah i love i love it too that it feels like his character is barely trying to do that he just kind of it it comes naturally to i guess it's within their nature wherever these aliens are from (laughs) the orbs (laughs) seem like cool dudes it's definitely a very positive vision in a way that you don't mm. typically see from uh, Carpenter because he was just he was feeling in a generous mood. He was feeling in a hopeful <laughs> and I like mood. That it ended up being him just trying to trick himself. Anyway. I know that's so <laughs> fucking funny. He's that's like, so maybe great. if I make this movie, then I'll believe it. Yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> if I make the commercial movie that all the other guys make, maybe I could be like them. And then it's like, <laughs> now nah, we're gonna go happiness. right back into what did he do after nah. this? Was it Christine? There was a Christine after this. That's a pretty dark movie. Yeah, it was pretty that's angry. Great. Or actually, yeah. I don't. I think it was. Let me see. No, was Christine was eighty three. Oh, so Christine it, was right before. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So eighty. I'm trying to trying to look here real quick. Eighty six oh, was it, big it, it would have been. Uh, it would have been big trouble and then Prince of Darkness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. I guess he was still kind of channeling some fun and big big trouble. Yeah. But yeah, definitely went back to the violence and the effects and everything like that. So definitely, yeah. But I yeah, I think that that is the uh, the end of. Uh, 
Starman. So we should pivot towards the uh, reductive rating round. But yeah, this one was a very solid four from from me as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say I, I I enjoyed this one a lot on a on on a first watch, especially just from you know how much of a sort of like strange detour it is in in Carpenter's career around this time. And it's again, yeah. it's just it's such a sudden out of nowhere burst of pop commercial sensibility and uh, sweetness. And and I, I do have to assume that it was a direct response to, you know, uh, the, the thing, you know, being dogged as much as it was, as we talked about when we did that episode, that it was just, you know, it was v- very unjustifiably, you know, not a commercial hit for him, not even a particular critical hit for him. Um, Crazy. And, uh, and it was definitely probably his most nihilistic that he had been up until that point. And so (laughs) maybe, maybe he felt that that was what was alienating people. And he was like, I'm going to do my commercial movie that people think is sweet and it makes money and everyone has a good time. And what's interesting is that so many people have had those instincts before and it just leads to like the worst movie that they made because it's Mm -hmm. like, it's so not them. But in this, you could see him channeling things that he still loves. He loves old-fashioned Hollywood films. He loves rom-coms. He loves road movies and westerns. And so to see him take all of that visual sensibility and the way that he uses space and color and the amazing location work, because we didn't get to talk a lot about it, but they literally did all this driving. L.A., Las Vegas, Winslow, Monument Valley, Arizona, uh, Nashville, uh, Manchester, Tennessee. Like they drove to these places and, you know, you could and and he shot some of it on like a very spare crew as well. Like the the stuff where he shot all the 16 millimeter home movies was just him and Karen Allen and Jeff Bridges. And so I don't know, there's there's something still personal and tender about it while still mimicking a little bit of that post Spielberg, like alien contact grandiosity that he definitely wanted to uh, uh, clue into. And, and, I, and I do think the performances are kind of central to the whole thing because Bridge is obviously doing the proto Dougie Jones physical acting and mugging that he's doing um, is incredible. And obviously it was recognized as incredible. People went, oh, my God, we need to nominate this dude. Uh, but I, I do think it's Alan who, you know, uh, sends it home. And, and even even yeah. Bridges said in his um interview that he was like i literally i could not have done it without the way that she looked at me because she looked stunned she treated me like i was an alien uh, you know like she yeah. really like it was like it was it just made my work better looking at her stunned you know spielberg awe face that she was doing and all of the emotion hangs on the way that she looks at him and the way that that changes from being wide-eyed terror from when she's watching fetus goop jeff bridges um to the very sort of broken-hearted and and, you know, but but loving and, you know, very warm um, sort of feeling she ends up having for him at the uh, closing of the film, even though it's still tragic and he still has to leave. And, you know, she's she's definitely had a, a sense of cathartic healing by the end of the film. And, yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, very, very beautiful. So and honestly, it is, I think, one of my favorite now Carpenter endings to a film. Oh, yeah. uh, like what a what a very simple choice that just works so, so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah focuses in on what it needs to uh yeah bridges and alan are awesome in this i'm also giving it a four um and yeah i think they're incredible in this uh bridges is just very obviously lovable as this character but i think i have to agree with you that alan really she's like the foundation of everything that works here Mm -hmm. um and she's just i love watching her even in especially in the middle where she hasn't really made a decision yet but she's seeing things that are reminding her of her husband, you, you you still see like an initial shock or, I don't know, a confusion maybe, but then there's those just 
small moments of her lighting up when he does something that reminds her of her husband. It's it's really, really great. Putting on that red hat from the glove compartment. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, I, I do, I did end up loving the kind of um, almost family-friendly gags that they were doing as he's discovering life and just the rules of the road and whatever else. Um, I think all that's great. I love Carpenter doing this kind of romance and and very uh, sincere uh, human story. It's it's something I guess we really haven't seen from him kind of ever because I guess he just wasn't allowed to do it. But uh, it's it is a shame. He, I I would love to see more of him channel this. It's 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 really great. Um, and uh, yeah, it moved me. I gotta say. So I'm uh, yeah, four out of five. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm also giving this a four out of five. I would if if I'm allowed, I would give it a four point five out of five. Yeah, go I for like it. I like it a bit more than the man who fell to earth, I think. I just mm-hmm. I love love. Um I don't I don't <laughs> normally like science fiction isn't like my typical wheelhouse of movies I like, but mm-hmm. um I I watched this for the first time on Halloween with with friend of the pod JT White and uh, he it was his suggestion we were people remember from the Top Gun Days of Thunder (laughs) episode famous Lizoids episode (laughs) we were um, we were watching a bunch of like horror movies and he's like we were like trading off whose picks uh, and he was like let's watch Starman I was like that's not a horror movie I was like that doesn't count I was like kind of I wasn't pissed, but I like, didn't want to watch it, really. And then I was just... I mean, it isn't really a Halloween movie. I he would, uh, He'll would he listen to this, and he will get mad. Yeah. <laughs> he, he will disagree with me. But, like, I don't really think... I mean, it's not I don't really know. A, if I'm going to select a Carpenter movie for Halloween, I, don't, I would say this is probably not in my first five picks. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, aside from the fact that it's not really, like, a Halloween movie, I was like, holy fuck, this is... Like emotionally, I'm so emotionally invested in this movie. We didn't even finish it that night. I like went, I came back home to New York and I like finished the last 20 minutes and I was just a, like, I was a fucking wreck. And I feel like it's, <laughs> it is Carpenter's like sweet, sincere, happy ending, like blockbuster sci fi movie. But it's also, like I said, like so devastating and mm-hmm. like almost cruel with what is done to. Uh, Karen Allen's character like emotionally when you think about it Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean obviously it gets to like a very sweet place and it's I I love all the gags I think I think they're very funny and goofy Bridges is obviously great Allen's obviously great Uh, yeah just a great sweet sad real real good crying movie if you like to cry a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah it has it one is. of those endings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of interesting to have her uh, go through, like, you, you see kind of something good for her where she gets to have this experience with her husband in a way again and say, have have one last goodbye. But you're right that there's also just that e- probably equally powerful She falls in love with him to lose him again, To lose right? him again immediately yeah, in, like, yeah. a 48-hour span. So but it's, it's like she's yeah. happy about it, too. It's like mm-hmm. she had this with him again. She got to say goodbye in this finalizing way, and she has a baby now that is biologically his. So it's right, not, yeah. 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 Yeah, there yeah. was some unfinished business that were taken from her when he died suddenly in an accident, right? right? Now it's like she did actually get to kiss him goodbye. She does get to, like, raise a child that's theirs. Like, yeah. you know, like the, the alien does, you know, definitely dramatically shift her 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 life from just staring at pictures of him and, you it know, is, being upset about it. 
Yeah, it is. There is something to say about having her first image on in the movie be, you know, her watching those home videos and just being devastated to, although saying goodbye at the end, looking on at that ship. He's like the most fleshy home video ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you can tell that she's been lifted at least, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it that that is nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that's gonna wrap it up for um, uh, Starman and for this episode. That was uh, the man who fell to Earth from 1976 and Starman from 1984. Thanks so much, Brianna, for uh, joining us and for bringing these um, films with you. It's always yeah. a blast. Of course, of course, happy to. It was great rewatching them. They're great movies. Such a good double feature. Yeah, that's right. Good, well. good picks. Good picks. <laughs> you definitely did well. Uh, this is the uh, part of the show where if you've uh, got anything to plug, this is where we usually have you do that. What's going on in uh, Brianna's Substack world? In Brianna's world, um, you can follow my Substack at briannaziggler.substack.com, uh, Breezigs LLC, um, and then you can follow me on Twitter at just Zigs. Uh, I write pretty regularly at Paste Magazine. Read my reviews, please. Yes. That's it. <laughs> do it up. No, do it up. We can definitely recommend doing that. Um, we are uh, going to be back uh, for our listeners in one week's time where we are going to be doing a huge left turn because we have done three weeks of science fiction and two weeks of uh, very friendly science fiction, I will say, because, you know, even mm. Close Encounters and Day the Earth Stood Still, you know, those aren't the... Uh, uh, there's a little bit of threatening in the day the earth stood still, I guess, but yeah. (laughs) Um, But uh, we are going to be getting very, very nasty, very fast where we are going to be for the first time on this show somehow talking about the evil dead uh, directed by Sam Raimi, because there is a new evil dead film on the way that people are talking about. And uh, we, we thought about it a couple of times. We were like, what's the double feature going to be here? Evil dead's been on deck for a long time. It sounded stupid to just do Evil Dead 2 because it makes sense, but we were like, that's too easy. We got to challenge yeah. ourselves a little and we'll bit. We'll have to Evil do three De- eventually as well, so... Yeah, so we uh, we we said the double feature is instead going to be a movie Jamie and I have not seen, and this is the real title. <laughs> Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. Let's go. Um, <laughs> which is uh, a Japanese evil dead uh, in uh, just instead of having like Bruce Campbell, it has a Japanese bodybuilder at the center of it, but he is also yeah. in a haunted house fighting all kinds of splatter movie characters. Apparently I'm so, so excited for that. I cannot wait. We're going to be talking evil dead, bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell. It's almost a tongue twister actually. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be next week. And then in two weeks time, we have a very special guest uh, joining us for, uh, uh, I'll just say it. It's Perry for his usual annual episode of what the fuck are you making us watch? What is yep. this? How gross um, will this be? Can't wait. We took the Midori challenge before TikTok did <laughs> and saw those images <laughs> of that dog being squished. Um, <laughs> God, damn. <laughs> so i don't i don't know what i don't know what these movies are uh yeah and the mermaid one jesus christ perry has brought on like the most disturbing gory films we've ever seen on this show so he's got a new pairing for us i don't even know if that's what this pairing is but i haven't seen them so i'm gonna guess we're gonna talk about a film called celluloid nightmares as well as another movie called evil dead trap Nice. Which I don't know if that has any connection to Evil Dead of any kind. I'm going to have to assume so with that name, but I don't, I don't know. So yeah. we'll find out in two weeks' time. Can't wait. We're going to Evil Dead mode, uh, in short. Um, so uh, that's what you can expect over the next two weeks. But uh, yeah, that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much uh, for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, everybody. <laughs>